genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11-colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Back in the day, I was a, you know, a coming at you kind of radio announcer. Alrighty, let's get into it. Round number one of 1FM scores. Alrighty, the first question is, my name is... I beg your pardon, we'll start it again. My God, what? Hello, I'm Marcus Paul on the radio playing <laughs> oh, the hits. Yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> That's gold, absolute gold. What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right. Good morning and welcome to the program. Great to have you company. We won't be playing any old tapes today, I hope. Certainly not of me. We might. For Justin and, of course, our news readers, uh, Diane Coveney Garland. We'll see how we go. Welcome to Wednesday. It is the 24th day of February, and boy, oh boy, isn't there a lot of news around? We'll have all the news for you, but we'd love to get your views on it. Uh, the open line, it's there for you right now. 13 12 69, if you would like to have you say. 13 12 69. Maybe you'd like to send me an email on the program. We welcome those. Try and keep it as brief as possible. MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com for your emails. And the Fortress, uh, we use the text number, Lawsy's text number, 0458 049209. Well, well, well. Let's have a look here. I don't know where to start. Let's start with the fact that, well, news will now start again being seen in your Facebook news feeds. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg apparently burned up the phone lines, striking an 11th hour deal to get Facebook back to the negotiating table and Australian news back in Facebook feeds. Now, the pair apparently spoke three times on the phone as the day progressed yesterday as they hammered out some changes to the legislation that Facebook wanted while maintaining the integrity of the government's mandatory bargaining code. The clock was winding down, the Senate was due to vote any time on the legislation, and it was only, well, and it was only the fact 12 people from all sides of the chamber decided to speak that it wasn't voted through on Monday night. So... Labor had some questions, but had decided not to seek amendments, meaning it would have passed into law. Prolific networker Mr Frydenberg worked the phones, with the pair also exchanging texts. Or maybe they were Facebook instant messages, I'm not sure. It's not clear where the 36-year-old billionaire Facebook chief was at the time, but their headquarters is in Silicon Valley in California in a time zone some 19 hours behind Australia's East Coast summertime. He might have been up early, Mr Zuckerberg. Now, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, entered question time at 2pm, by which time the deal seems to have been done. A statement went out from Mr Frydenberg and Communications Minister Paul Fletcher at 3 o'clock, which advised of the changes 
and casually mentioned in the final paragraph that, quote, the government has been advised by Facebook that it intends to restore Australian news pages in the coming days. At the same time, Facebook issued a statement on its website advising that after further discussions with the Australian government, we've come to an agreement that will allow us to support the publishers we choose to. By six o'clock last night, Seven West Media was announcing a preliminary deal with Facebook, sparking speculation more deals could be coming soon. All right, well, the Senate vote is looming on a bill which will force the tech giants to pay media companies for their content or pay heavy fines. Facebook, as we know, agreed to restart commercial negotiations and restore the news sites it blocked last week. What happens in return? Well, the federal government agreed to several amendments to its legislation, including allowing extra time for negotiations with news organisations. So the move now clears the way for Facebook to strike commercial deals with media companies, including News Corp Australia, Nine Entertainment and the ABC, as well as small and independent publishers, as fellow digital behemoth Google has already done. So there we go. Uh, We'll continue to update on any changes in relation to that, but I don't think they're back yet, but more and more deals will be struck and you will start to see a little more news in your Facebook feeds in the coming weeks, I'm sure. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, All right. Well, Craig Kelly, gone. I'll go into more detail on exactly what happened yesterday, but Mr Kelly has stood aside. He'll go to the crossbench, meaning that, well, um, of course, I expect that he will still vote with the federal government, with the LNP, but... I mean, it does reduce or have the capacity to make things very difficult for the government, including the Prime Minister. Now, yesterday, when Mr Kelly, on indulgence, announced to the the country in Parliament that he was moving to the crossbench, I noticed both ScoMo and Mr Frydenberg got up out of their chairs and hastily scurried out of the chamber. Um, Obviously, you didn't need to be Einstein to work out that they weren't impressed. They were not impressed. Anyway, I'll let you know how that all went down. We'll play a little bit of that speech that Mr Kelly made as well, trying to justify his move. What do you make of it, though? 13 12 69, the telephone number. And, of course, the other big news is yesterday the government confirming a boost, if that's what we want to call it, to job seeker. But there is a catch. Unemployed workers will receive a permanent $50 a fortnight increase to the job seeker payment once the coronavirus supplement is scrapped in exchange for much stricter requirements. Now, the new rate will be the equivalent of an extra $3.57 a day. It's not much. And there are many, including the Greens and Department of... Well, those that work in the social services sector saying it's a joke. The modest, and that's putting a politely, increase will be paired with tighter eligibility rules and harsher mutual obligations. Employers will be able to dob in people on unemployment benefits who are offered a job and do not accept. Individuals might have their welfare payments docked if they can't produce a valid reason. Now, the slight lift brings job keeper, or I beg your pardon, job seeker, 
to 41.2% of the minimum wage and is expected to cost our economy some $9 billion over four years. Now, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, linked the new rate of job seeker to the vaccination rollout, saying it marked a new chapter in Australia's response to the pandemic. He said, and I quote yesterday in Canberra, we are moving from short-term emergency measures to long-term arrangements that people can rely on should they find themselves out of work. The PM said the welfare rate needed to be weighed against the burden on taxpayers. He said our social safety net is a social contract. It's a contract between the government and Australians, but it's also a contract between Australians and what you've heard today is about getting the balance of that right. Well, has the government got the balance right? Many argue no. Many say it's nowhere near enough. Many say that it's basically just led to more and more Australians living below the poverty line in coming weeks, months and who knows, maybe even years. The coronavirus supplement worth $150 a fortnight is due to end on March 31. Now, without government intervention, the unemployment benefit would have returned to its pre-pandemic rate of $565 a fortnight or $40 a day. Now, most of us agreed. In fact, everybody agreed that that was nowhere near enough. Then how the hell can a, a modest increase of just under four bucks a day still be anywhere near enough? As I mentioned, the mini boost has not satisfied welfare and business groups who've spent years advocating for a meaningful increase to the dole. Early yesterday, as the Coalition Party Room discussed the plan, unions and political opponents slammed the proposed $50 boost. I mean, Green's social services spokesperson, Rachel Seawitt, called it a joke, an abject cruelty. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union tweeted that $50 extra wouldn't keep a roof over people's heads. It won't even keep the power on. $3.50 a day is not even enough for people to get job, get to job interviews, according to the union. We might talk uh, today, if we can, Justin, we'll get in touch with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Now, GetUp called it a slap in the face, but the Prime Minister has brushed off their criticism. He said, I have no doubt that at whatever rate you set the payment, there will be always suggestions by some that it should be more. There'll be some who suggest it should be less. That's why a government has to exercise, according to the Prime Minister, judgment in getting that balance right. Not just in the setting of the payment, but also the conditions that sit around the provisions of that payment. Greens leader Adam Bantz didn't hold back either. He described the increase as a quote-unquote bloody insult. Well, what do you make of it? Give me a call, 13 12 69. That's the telephone number. By the way, Anthony Albanese, I mean, Labor had called for an increase to the dole for several years. They won't stand in the way of the slight hike. I mean, Albo apparently said yesterday, it's important there be a permanent increase and that to be done as a matter of urgency just to provide certainty for people as well. But I think even Albo would agree that it's not enough. Do you think it's enough? Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you would like to have your say. Emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Peter's on the open line. Morning, Pete. Morning, MP. Yeah, I just heard you. I saw that, saw that on Twitter and that yesterday about the increase, and then I had to laugh at it where they said if 
people on the dole earn $150 a fortnight, the government's going to take it off them again anyway. See, the thing is, uh, basically, two out of every $3 that we spend on welfare is recirculated back into our economy. So that's yeah, two out of every no, three dollars. There's no incentive for people to uh, try and get ahead if the government, government's going to put their hand in one pocket and then take it back out in the other. Well, of course not. I mean, I don't think they've got the balance right. I think it's too low. Uh, it certainly shouldn't remain at what it currently is because that's, you know, that, again, that doesn't provide incentive for anybody to go out and get work. $300 a week, that's what they bloody, they, um, they corruptly take out of us when they go and stay down at Canberra every night. <laughs> well, yes. That's so maybe, ho- maybe they should give that back. Well, that's not going to happen, let's be honest. We know that's not going to happen. Yeah, I know. I know. Criminals, all of them. Uh, look, I don't know. What did you make of Craig Kelly? Uh, did he have uh, to go? No, well, you know, if you're elected into power, you're allowed, you should be allowed to say what you want. Well, you true, know. true. But even if that's going, I mean, even if that's going against what the official government advice is. Yeah, well, you know, he's been listening to that other rat bag who tried to sell a, a COVID cure for twenty-seven thousand dollars, wasn't it? Oh, I think it was about fifteen thousand. I don't think anybody no, bought it. Thank goodness. I just had to. I had to add the GST to it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Look, All I don't right. know. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate the there call. You if you'd like to have your say, thirteen twelve sixty nine is the telephone number. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. Now, on the program a little later this morning, just after 7 o'clock, uh, Christina Keneally, Senator Christina Keneally, will join us. Uh, now, we're going to talk about this family from Biloela in Queensland. They are still languishing in offshore detention. How long have they been there? Well, years. How much is it costing? Well, way too much. How on earth, Peter Dutton, and the government justify spending millions of Australian taxpayers' money in order to keep a detention centre operational for just four people, one family, is beyond me. I mean, we've got the Prime Minister on one hand saying they need to be prudent and they need to, you know, be a little careful without their spending our money when it comes to Social Security, but yet they've got no problem wasting millions upon millions of dollars each and every month to look after four people in detention. It's ridiculous. Look, there are plenty of people who are calling for this family to be released and sent back to Biloela, back to their jobs, back to their home, back uh, so that kids can get back to school, etc., if... <laughs> I mean, these poor kids talk about disrupting their lives to make a political point. Anyway, Tony Abbotts, Julie Bishop, Michael McCormick, Jim Molan. I mean, they're just some of the Prime Minister's right-hand people who are in support of sending this family back to Biloela. I mean, of course, both, uh, Tony Abbott's gone now, of course, but he's certainly a high-profile voice, a former Prime Minister of Australia, and he believes that they should be returned home to Bilo. Or what do we say, Bilo or Bilo? Bilo. Anyway, we'll talk about that with Christina Keneally, and uh, I'll get a rundown off her on the events of the last week in Canberra in relation to all of the allegations made against Liberal staffers who've been accused of sexual assault. So we'll talk uh, about that with Christina as well. And I'll get her thoughts on the slight rise 
to Job Seeker. Also on the program after 7.30 today, Helen Dalton. Helen is extremely disturbed by the Brittany Higgins saga, which exposes the complete lack of oversight of government when it comes to abuse allegations. Helen has 10 local councils in her electorate. She's been inundated with complaints of sexual abuse and bullying. So we'll talk to Helen about that. Alex Chelios joining us in the Big Smoke as well um, from thebigsmoke.com.au. Alex will be happy about the change in Facebook um, because she's got quite a following online as well on social media. Hopefully her page, thebigsmoke.com.au, will be up on Facebook again within days. Anyway, we'll talk to Alex. She's always got some really good stories that they cover, Uh, some a little quirky but most very important. So that's just a few things happening on the program, but we need you a part of it as well. 13 12 69, the telephone number, and emails MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com, and the text line is open for you as well. 0458 049 209. Uh, it's now 25 and a half minutes after 5. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I see the New South Wales government says a key plank of its COVID-19 economic response is being delayed because the City of Sydney is dragging its heels in approving critical social housing developments. Now, the council says it's working closely with the state government on these projects, but we all know... Come on, you're not fooling anybody, Clover, and you lot. We all know how councils love to drag their feet on approving DAs. Just get on with it. The assessment periods need to be quicker... And we need to get construction started immediately. Marcus, Paul in the morning. We're decades behind where we should be on social housing. We, we need not, you know, 900 new social housing dwellings. We need thousands and thousands of public housing dwellings built um, so that people can have somewhere to live. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, we're off to the news in just a moment at 5.30. Meanwhile, I see a teen has been seriously injured in Bonnie Rig Heights in Sydney southwest overnight. At around a quarter past one, emergency services responded to calls of a home invasion at Simpson Road at Bonnie Rig Heights. Uh, Police were informed that two men entered the premises wearing face coverings, one armed with a machete and the other with a hammer. Dear, oh dear. News next. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11-colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Back in the day, I was a, you know, a coming at you kind of radio announcer. Alrighty, let's get into it. Round number one of 1FM scores. Alrighty, the first question is, my name is... I beg your pardon, we'll start it again. My God, what? Hello, I'm Marcus Paul on the radio playing <laughs> oh, the hits. Yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> That's gold, absolute gold. What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program, 13 12 69, my telephone number. It's great to have your company. It is a Wednesday and, of course, it is the 24th day of February. Plenty of news around. Now, yesterday, this caught my attention. Chris Bowen 
Where's this been from Chris and others? Uh, Chris said, uh, today Craig Kelly did what Scott Morrison didn't have the courage to do. The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And he says that Scott Morrison walks past a hell of a lot. And he let loose in the chamber. Finally, somebody is actually standing up for a different kind of values. And I applaud Chris Bowen for his uh, commentary yesterday. Mr Speaker, today the member for Hughes has done what the Prime Minister didn't have the courage to do and sacked himself from the Liberal Party. Let us never forget that when a good local member like Jane Prentice was under challenge for her pre-selection, this Prime Minister sat on his hands. But when the member for Hughes was under challenge, it was all hands on deck. When the member for Hughes was engaging in Nazi slurs on the Premier of Victoria, the Prime Minister was silent. When the member for Hughes was insulting the Cambodian community, comparing the World Economic Forum to Pol Pot's genocide, the Prime Minister was silent. When the member for Hughes was accusing our hard-working scientists at the Bureau of Meteorology of doctoring temperatures, the Prime Minister was silent. When the member for Hughes was accusing the Chief Medical Officer and the TGA of crimes against humanity, did the Prime Minister defend them? No, he was silent. The Prime Minister has ignored the member for Hughes until pressure from this side of politics made him recant. But the Prime Minister was prepared to accept this man's vote within the Liberal Party room until 11 o'clock today. And the Prime Minister still didn't act. It was the member for Hughes who acted. It was the member for Hughes who sacked himself, who had the courage to do what this Prime Minister has declined to do for too long. The The standard you walk past is the standard you accept, and this Prime Minister walks past a hell of a lot. What's your name? Marcus, Paul in the morning. Well, there we go. Chris Bowen uh, giving it in both with both barrels uh, to the Prime Minister yesterday uh, after Craig Kelly decided, well, he was going to walk and head off to the crossbench. I'm hearing this morning more rubbish about this bloke. I wish he'd just go to never be heard from again. But anyway, uh, the latest is that apparently uh, he has given... Uh, the federal government, no guarantee that, of course, he will support them. Uh, the Hughes MP, Craig Kelly, says he's prepared to vote against the government. Mr Kelly, as we know, has moved to the crossbench after he was warned to stop spreading misinformation about COVID-19 treatments. He was pulled into line, as we know, by the Prime Minister Scott Morrison recently, but he's opted to resign now from the Liberal Party. Like a kid that's thrown all the toys out of the cot. Uh, News Corp reports he's being courted by several national MPs. Well, that's all right. He'd uh, probably fit in well with Barnaby and his mates. They're all as cuckoo as each other. News, sport, talk and music. Sydney Zone 1269 2SM. Wow, that's a different one. We've got a, a bit of a computer thing happening this morning where... I'm I'm pressing buttons for different things, but that's gone back a few years. That one, Justin? Wow. 20 minutes to six. Unions are joining forces to call for a royal commission into the treatment of fruit pickers and workers in the horticultural sector. The latest in a long line of reports has found people working in the industry for as little as, you listen to this, $3 per hour. 
amid horrific stories of exploitation, poor sanitary conditions and abuse. No wonder it's difficult to get people there outside of, you know, backpackers and whatnot and tourists. So the latest in a long line of reports has found people working in the industry are doing so for as little as $3 an hour. And this is amid horrific stories of exploitation, poor sanitary conditions and abuse. Daniel Walton from the Australian Workers' Union says it's become an entrenched part of the supply chain and action is long overdue. All right, we might chase up more detail on that story. New research, meanwhile, has found more Australians are now investing in so-called cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin than precious metals such as gold and silver. Gee, I don't know about this. Would you invest in Bitcoin or would you prefer gold? A survey of more than 2,000 Australians, so it's not a big survey by any stretch, but anyway... A survey of more than 2,000 Australian investors found 12.1% are holding gold and silver, whereas 12.6% now have investments in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And despite reaching record highs recently, most investors, 51%, say they're not looking to sell their Bitcoin anytime soon. Caroline Bowler from BTC Markets says the findings suggest the cryptocurrencies are now more understood and accepted, but there's still a need for greater regulation. Well, that's it, isn't it, really? I mean, it's not regulated, these cryptocurrencies, and it's very hard to buy a lot of things using Bitcoin still. Although, from time to time, you hear of big exchanges, whether it's on a motor vehicle or a home, for Bitcoin using cryptocurrency. What do you make of it? Are you invested in Bitcoin? Let me know. Thirteen twelve sixty nine being the telephone number. Emails MP in the morning at two sm supernetwork.com. A garbage truck driver will face court next month after he hit and killed a pedestrian. I've seen the vision popping up on my television screen this morning. It's just awful. The thirty two year old allegedly struck the woman at a Chester Hill intersection. It happened yesterday morning. And unfortunately, this poor woman passed away at the scene. The man's been charged with driving offences. He was granted bail and he'll face Bankstown Local Court. Just an awful, awful story. OK, 13 12 69, the telephone number at 17 minutes to 6. Marcus Paul in the morning, all the news and your views on the program a little later this morning. Senator Christina Keneally will join us. Uh, now, there is a big push with more and more high-profile Australians coming on board to send the uh, this Sri Lankan family who have been tamed offshore at a ridiculous cost to taxpayers for years now. Ten, I'd hate to think how much we've spent keeping Christmas Island open to house four people, for God's sake. Anyway, supporters of the hashtag Home to Bilo family now include Tony Abbott, Julie Bishop... Michael McCormick, Jim Molan, and of course, as we know, many Greens, Labor MPs, cross-bench MPs. But will Peter Dutton move on this? Will the Home Affairs Minister actually find a heart? I doubt it. I mean, many people say to me that, you know, he's basically uh, wants to detain these 
these people just to, to prove a political point. I think it's wrong. But more than that, I think, above all else, it's a waste of taxpayer money. I mean, we've seen a, a very modest increase to the job seeker payment because the federal uh, government, the Prime Minister and the Treasurer are saying we need to be very careful with taxpayer dollars. Obviously, that doesn't extend to wasting tens, if not more, of millions of dollars to detain one single family in offshore detention. It's completely and utterly hypocritical. We'll talk to Senator Keneally about that this morning, and I'll get her take as well on all the goings-on in Canberra in the last week. Helen Dalton, meanwhile, remains extremely disturbed by the Brittany Higgins saga, which exposes the complete lack, according to her, of oversight of government when it comes to abuse uh, allegations. Now, Helen has some 10 local councils in her electorate, and she's been inundated with complaints of sexual abuse and bullying. So we'll speak to Helen about that. Is she coming in this morning, Scruff, or are we on the phone with Helen? On the phone this morning? Okay. It's a shame she normally comes in. Anyway, we'll catch up with Helen. Uh, Alex Chelios dropping by too from The Big Smoke. Always look forward to my chats with Alex. A couple of the issues that she's been looking at in The Big Smoke. How to be funny at work and on Zoom meetings without upsetting anybody. How researchers found that your colleagues look at you differently when you make a joke and it doesn't land. Really? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) How your daily cup of coffee impacts your brain with cognitive hardware changes happening for those who drink coffee more than 10 consecutive days in a way. Uh, It's not a bad thing, apparently. Alex will have the details on that. The psychology behind Bitcoin obsession explained why Bitcoin fever has hit hard again in 2021 and why for some it's all wrapped up in their identity. Why Clubhouse is the new Reddit with the removal of liking or upvoting and why they won't allow pseudonyms. That's what I mean. Some quirky stories always with Alex. And what to know about the angry clashes and arrests over the COVID-19 rollout this week. So that's all coming up from thebigsmoke.com.au with Alex Chelios, who joins us each and every Wednesday on the program. Okay, 13 minutes to six, my telephone number to have your say on the news, 13 12 69. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, nine minutes away from 6, 13, 12, 69, the telephone number if you would like to have your say. Oh, oh Prince Philip, what's going on there? He will remain in hospital for a second week. The 99-year-old Duke of Edinburgh was admitted with an infection, as we know, and, I mean, we even saw pictures uh, and video of Prince Charles, a teary Prince Charles, leaving the hospital uh, by his father's, after he'd been by his father's bedside. But Buckingham Palace has released a statement saying he's actually in good spirits and is responding well to treatments. I mean, this bloke... It's almost like a man of steel, isn't he? 99 years of age. Uh, I mean, there were some concerns that he may not ever come back out of hospital. But he's doing well, apparently, according to um, a statement from Buckingham Palace. Good news. 
Speaking of hospitals, the number of patients seeking care in private hospitals is beginning to bounce back since the beginning of the pandemic. But treatments are still down from 2019 figures impacted by the shutdown in Victoria and the long-term restrictions in South Australia. Australian Private Hospitals Association CEO Michael Roth says this should return to previous levels. So there we go, uh, more and more Australians are returning to private hospitals for treatment since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, as we know, embattled Liberal MP Craig Kelly has quit the Liberal Party and will move to the crossbench. The controversial Liberal MP has resigned from the party and will sit as an independent. Mr Kelly, who has represented the federal seat of Hughes since 2010, reportedly handed a letter to the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, at a party room meeting yesterday morning. But many people say it would appear that Craig Kelly actually knows that his days are numbered as the Liberal member for Hughes, as growing calls mount for him to be voted out at the next election. Reports suggest the backbencher told colleagues he did not want to be a distraction for the Morrison government. It's understood that Mr Kelly will sit on the crossbench and will continue to provide supply for the government. In other words, Craig Kelly is still, for all intents and purposes, a Liberal member of Parliament, and his vote in Parliament will be counted as a Liberal I mean, he's been pretty controversial, this bloke. As we heard Chris Bowen outline very colourfully on the program earlier this morning. Uh, Of course, he has been accused of sharing coronavirus misinformation. He'd face being disendorsed by the Liberal Party ahead of the next federal election. In recent weeks, he's continued to post on social media about the controversial drug ivermectin as a COVID treatment. His posts were routinely among the most popular of any Australian politician. In early February, following a highly publicised confrontation with Tanya Plibersek in the halls of Parliament, Mr Kelly was sternly told by the Prime Minister that his views on COVID were potentially affecting the vaccination rollout. It took months for Mr Morrison to make a public statement condemning the Hughes MP, who had been promoting two unapproved drugs on his since-removed Facebook page. He has also long questioned the science behind climate change. The bloke's a nut. Craig Kelly threatened uh, threatened to quit the Liberals ahead of the 2019 election when he faced a challenge to his seat from within the New South Wales branch, but he was saved by ScoMo. Senior Labor MP Linda Burney says Mr Kelly has been a thorn in the side of the Liberals for quite some time. The government has the slimmest of majorities in the parliament now, she said. Nevertheless, Craig Kelly has assured the government he will continue supporting it on votes in the House of Representatives. So there we go. What do you make of all of that? 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. All right, not too far away from the news at six. Steve's on the open line, 13 12 69. Hello, mate. How you going? All right, uh, thank you, Steve. Marcus, you, want, you continue to talk about Craig Kelly. Yeah. And and also Tanya Plibersek, she fronted him apparently in Parliament. Well, not apparently, she did, yeah. Uh, did, she, did she? She got off as Well, you didn't see that. Debate. It was a big story. Okay. She got off as a debate here, live on TV, and knocked it back, right? And here's some stats. Craig Kelly's electorate is 96.4% vaccinated. 
Tenure Plevisek is at 88%. But what's so your maybe point? what he's doing what's your is point? right. No, well, what, well, maybe what he's no. doing is right. And he's never never been an anti-vaxxer or anything like that. No, but what he's done is he's promoted... Okay, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, the coxycontin the and all that. So yep. if the World Health, Health Organization in a few weeks come out and declare these drugs helpful... What will all you people do in the media? What do you mean, what do you, mean you people? What do you mean you people in the media? At the end of the day, we spent more than a billion dollars of taxpayer money uh, buying up doses of the Pfizer vaccine and AstraZeneca vaccine. So what, what do you... I can't understand your point. What? You don't understand my point? No, no. no you bag him about his alternative views. Well, because he's a moron. And he's promoting things that uh, could be dangerous to people. Um, and I'm sorry if you support him, Steve, I... I'm just going to let you go, mate. I think the bloke is a nutcase. And he shouldn't be promoting things that haven't been endorsed by the Therapeutic Goods Association. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I see the New South Wales government says a key plank of its COVID-19 economic response is being delayed because the city of Sydney is dragging its heels in approving critical social housing developments. Now, the council says it's working closely with the state government on these projects, but we all know... Come on, you're not fooling anybody, Clover, you lot. We all know how councils love to drag their feet on approving DAs. Just get on with it. The assessment periods need to be quicker... And we need to get construction started immediately. Marcus, Paul in the morning. We're decades behind where we should be on social housing. We, we need not, you know, 900 new social housing dwellings. We need thousands and thousands of public housing dwellings built um, so that people can have somewhere to live. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, good morning and welcome back to the program. It's great to have your company. It is Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69 is the telephone number if you would like to have your say. On this 24th day of February, there's plenty of news around. We'll get through all of it for you this morning. But more importantly, uh, if you want to send me an email and give me your view or call the show and give us your view, 13 12 69 MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com for your emails. Well, we've been told around 1,300 people were vaccinated in New South Wales on the first day of the state's inoculation rollout. That's according to the Premier Gladys Berejiklian. She said she was really pleased with the numbers of jabs received on day one. Of course, that will scale up. The figure of 1,300 people getting a vaccine dose represents the number of people given a shot at Liverpool, Westmead and RPA hospitals. It doesn't include people in aged care homes, according to the Premier. The response from those who received the vaccine has also been very positive. This comes as an additional 166,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine have arrived in Australia as Labor leader Anthony Albanese lined up for his jab. The shipment of vaccines on board a Singapore Airlines flight arrived in Sydney early yesterday ahead of the second week of the Phase 1A rollout for aged care residents and priority frontline workers. Uh, The precious cargo was taken to a special cold storage facility in a secret Western Sydney location where it will undergo batch testing before being sent to vaccination hubs around the country. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. 
Alrighty, uh, Mick is on the open line. G'day, Mick. How are you, mate? I'm well, mate. How are you this morning? Good. Thank you for your call. Mate, I heard the Geordie yesterday morning on your program for the first time ever because I'm not normally listening at that time. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, he is, and that's why we uh, we air his stuff, and that's why we do some collaboration work with him. He's a, a, a great journalist, and he backs up all of his comments with uh, some uh, pretty solid evidence uh, that he bases his opinions on, and, of course, he's a, re- a reverence and throws a bit of comedy in there as well, but it's good, I recommend to anybody, uh, to get online and, and look at all of his work. He's, he's done some really good uh, journalistic uh, work, and he also, as I say, it's... With a touch of, well, it drips with sarcasm, but yeah. that's okay. But, yeah, I've not heard you talk about him in the past, mate. I thought he was more like a, you know, the chaser or someone like that. But he's actually a very good journalist. He's investigative and he's, he hits the point. Oh, absolutely. Another point with you. Yeah. Another point with you. Mm-hmm. Council charges. I just heard your little blurb there on your show talking about councils and DAs. Mate, we're putting in a little above ground pool, all right, for right. kids. Yeah. Don't know why we're right near the beach, but we're putting it in anyway. This pool, the pool itself costs seven grand. Okay, could yeah. cost anywhere from two and a half grand up. That's what they start at. The council charges for us to put that in, and the council said to us, "Oh, don't go directly through us. Go through a private certifier. It'll be a lot cheaper." So far, we're up around two and a half thousand dollars for a little above ground pool. Wow. A lot of this, and some of this, a lot of it, is. Forms we have to purchase from council and do nothing more than give back to them. Can you believe that? I have to purchase a thing called a 107, mm-hmm. which is a planning certificate for my property. Council already has it, but I have to pay $200 for it to hand back to them. <laughs> then they tell me. Oh, they're kidding, aren't they? they? Said, Mate, they told me the whole area is in a flood area. Okay, it is. It's near a little, tiny little lake. Yeah. So the whole area is declared a flood, flood prone, not a flood zone. Yep. But they say. Depending on how flood-prone your place is, is whether this can be a complying development, which means it's a little bit cheaper, or you've got to go through the full DA. Oh, it's a bloody so how pool. How do I find that out? How <sighs> do I find that out? Oh, you purchase that information from us. So we purchase that information. That's going to cost $440, and all we'll do with that is give it back to them. We then had to purchase... Oh, so far, we've had to purchase three sets of documents from council that we don't do anything with. We just give them straight back to them. I and don't they get it. Why it's, so, so you know, you're sorry, but you're going to be the guy showing out the money for it, then you really won't get it. And I'm saying, how can this complying development? Mm. How can the, the, the private certifier cost more than the guy who's coming to put the tool up? The guy who's got the like, you're not digging it into the ground, but it's going to be hard work for him. Yeah, of course. I'm too old for that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I have to get a drafts person who's been really helpful. This drafts woman. Yeah. She, she's looking after all this for me. I actually went to her before I went to certify. Most people go the other way around. Mm. She's been so helpful. She's going to cost another $650 because for this tiny little above-ground pool, I have to get side elevations and all of this sort of stuff drawn up. And, mate, it's just an absolute rip-off. What do I get for this? Which council are you talking about? Which council? Shell Harbour. Uh, Shell Harbour. Right mate, they're all the same. I'm telling you, they're all the same. It costs you... Because private certifiers, some of them I rang, but the pool mm. was type, we were in Sydney, and they, they were $2,500 just for the certifier. Mate, I it's don't unbelievable, know. and it's just a little above-ground pool. Now, you know what I would really expect? If someone comes around and says, oh, your fence is safe. Well, yes. I'd expect that, and I should probably pay $500 for someone from council to visit and to look and say, 
are your fences safe? Because this is for my grandkids, and I want them safe. I want some advice. Yeah. How can I be safer? But, mate, no wonder. You know, like, when you go and dump your rubbish, it's $400 a tonne with the council. I thought we already paid our rates to have a, a tip. Yep. It's no wonder people do the wrong thing, Marcus. Well, that's no, it. Mate, I'm, I'm a dead set saint. I mean, I've never even put up a shed that well, I have that didn't go through council, but you know what I mean. Well, it's, it's just... no wonder people try and get around the council regulations because we're over-regulated when it comes to local government. There's so much red yeah. tape or green tape or whatever tape you want to call it. There's so many roadblocks put in your way. So, in other words, in order to get a <clears throat> an above-ground pool put in your place down there in Shell Harbour, you're spending whatever it is on the pool itself, but upwards of thousands of dollars just to purchase documents which you need to sign and then give back to the council. Yeah, I, 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 there's nowhere for my signature. They just have to be bundled and sent back to council. There's one oh, useful document that came with the whole lot, Marcus. Yeah. But I didn't have to pay for this one. This one is just, it's right there. And I think this should be, this one should be disseminated through um, state parliament too. It says, if I try to bribe an official or a certifier, <laughs> or if I in any way try to be corrupt with any of my development, yeah. I risk an $11,000 fine and two years in jail. Now, I think we should send that one to our Premier. Well said. All right, mate. Great call. Thank you, Mick. Thanks, Marcus. See ya. He's absolutely right. I mean, isn't it just ridiculous? Government getting in the way. We are over-governed. We're over-regulated. And for goodness sake, why should it be so damn hard and so bloody expensive just to put an above-ground pool in your backyard? It's crazy. And this nonsense that council makes people like Mick and others do, purchase documents just so you can rebundle them and send them back with your application. I mean, 200 bucks for this document, 400 bucks for that document, another 600 for this. It all adds up. I mean, why would you bother? Wouldn't you just shove the thing up and put a fence around it yourself? Well, of course, you can't. I wouldn't endorse you do that, but it's no wonder people try to do it. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number, Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, there's around 129,000 jobs on offer at the moment, but 1.3 million people looking for work. For nine out of ten people, the jobs just aren't there. So when the job seeker payment, the COVID supplement, is cut again in around, I don't know, 36-odd days, a million people will be forced to survive on, well, it was going to be $40 a day, now it's just shy of $44 a day. And it's not enough to live on. It's not enough to live on. Here's a little of what the Green Senator Rachel Seawitz had to say. I mean, she obviously advocates for uh, social security safety nets, and, and that's what she does. And I think some of the comments she makes are very worthwhile listening to. Here we are, 42 days out from when the job seeker payment goes back to just $40 a day. But when I asked, would the government guarantee that people on the job seeker payment won't go back to $40 a day on the 1st of April. She told us some information, but she would not say yes or no. The fact is, is that people cannot survive on $40 a day, that the government is subjecting people to uncertainty about their future, and that is untenable. What are people going to do in 42 days' time? But the underpinning of all this is the government and the minister kept talking about, well, we're trying to encourage people into jobs. 
Well, at the moment, there's 1.3 million people unemployed. And at the end of January, there was 129,000 jobs. You tell me how 1.3 million people fit into 129,000 jobs. They don't. Why can't the government guarantee that job seekers will not be going back to $40 a day? Because people cannot survive on that. Hello, good morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Breakfast. Yep, and a note here from Stephen says, Marcus, not content with kicking the unemployed below the belt with slurs like Dole Bludger and others, some within the federal government's has kicked them back below the poverty line by cutting $100 a fortnight from JobSeeker and calling it a $25 a week increase. Well, let's repeat that a little bit. By cutting $100 a fortnight from JobSeeker and calling it a $25 a week increase. And as Rachel Seward said, uh, I mean, obviously that audio is a couple of days old in relation to the news announced yesterday for the slight increase to job seeker, but as Rachel very clearly said, 40 bucks a day isn't enough to live on. But how the heck can, I don't know, $44 a day be enough to live on? What do you make of it? 13 12 69, the telephone number. 18 minutes after six now, Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 21 and a half after 6, 13, 12, 69, the telephone number. Scott, are you there? Nope, Scott didn't hold on. All right, uh, Scott, give us a call back, mate. You might have dropped out. 13, 12, 69, uh, to have you say. Uh, messages coming through. This one from Frank Marcus. I just heard you poo-pooing Craig Kelly uh, and his campaign for Hydra, uh, whatever it is, Hydra, whatever. Uh, and ivermectin, proven in the USA as a preventative and a treatment for the China virus. I have previously shared information attesting to this. Hydroxychloroquine has been used for 65 years as a malaria medicine. Ivermectin used by a professor of uh, virology in Sydney. He was interviewed on Sky News. Well, Well, there you go. If he's interviewed on Sky News, we all need to pay attention, don't we? Frank... Again, that's fine uh, for you to have that opinion. There's no problem with that, but I need to be very careful as a professional broadcaster not to do what Craig Kelly does and promotes drugs that haven't been approved to treat COVID-19. Is it that hard for some people to understand? We cannot do it. I won't do it Um, because, importantly as well, uh, they're not on the list of uh, the... (laughs) Uh, treatments for COVID-19 here in Australia. We've spent more than a billion dollars, 1.2 and counting, I think even more now, on doses of a vaccine to combat COVID-19. That's what the government spent our money on. That is what we should be supporting, not something that hasn't been endorsed by our government or approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration in relation to COVID-19. It's really that simple. It's not that hard, I would have thought, to understand. Uh, But these people just continually want to push other drugs. I mean, what's your, Frank, what is your qualification? You're not a doctor, I'm sure. Okay, 
that's great that other professors and whatnot have been interviewed on Sky News and all the rest of it. And I know that even on this network, we've had other people interviewed in relation to these drugs. But if they were as good as what you people, including Craig Kelly, are all suggesting, then our government would have gone with them. But they haven't. And they haven't spent our taxpayer dollars on them. And that's why we need to support our chief medical officers and our federal health minister in what has been approved in order to combat COVID-19. Now, if you don't want to get it, don't get it. That's fine, Frank. I mean, again, like Craig Kelly, and look what's happened to him, you're going to be pushing a barrow up a very steep hill. It's 24 and a half after six. Marcus Paul in the morning. Back to the 80s. Yeah, back to the 80s. And Tiffany, I think we're alone now. Really good article written by Rick Morton in The Guardian. The Morrison government will consider the political issues solved in relation uh, to unemployment benefits. And Brand is ungrateful. Anyone who dares question it, the strategy behind the federal government's increase to the job seeker payment is crystal clear. Scott Morrison will say he is the first leader in almost 30 years to increase the rate of welfare for unemployed people. Never mind that it's only by less than $3.60 a day. Oh, yes, absolutely. Rick is right. Uh, ScoMo, Promo will be out today saying, well, I'm the first. We're the first who have increased the dole since the 1990s. Damned if it keeps people in poverty. Too bad that it won't even recover lost ground since the payment was decoupled from flat wages growth in 1997. Already the new figure represents a $100 per fortnight cut in the rate as the coronavirus supplement of $150 is due to end on March 31. But as I say, and Rick Morton writes, the Morrison government will consider the political issue solved and brand it, or brand anyone, as ungrateful who dares question it. Plenty more to say on this after the news at 6.30. the telephone number if you would like to have your say. A man and a woman will front court today after allegedly street racing in Sydney South West back in January. This happened around Camden Valley Way, Preston's. Uh, these kids, a 19, well, a 19 and a 20-year-old man, were apparently caught doing 120 clicks in a 60K zone, twice the limit, and they're both on their P's. They will front court and hopefully have their licences stripped for quite some time. Good morning, I'm Diane Coveney-Garland. A 23-year-old man will face court today, charged over the alleged sexual abuse of a teenage girl. Police arrested the man in Campbelltown in Sydney's southwest on December 22 last year. He was charged with 28 offences, including grooming, sexually abusing and assaulting a 13-year-old girl. Police allege he sexually abused the girl on multiple occasions between December 2019 and December 2020. A teenager has been stabbed during a violent home invasion in Sydney's southwest. Emergency services were called to a property on Simpson Road, Bonnie Rick Heights, at 1.15 this morning, where they found the 17-year-old had been attacked. Two men had forced their way into the property, one armed with a machete, the other with a hammer. The 17-year-old rock occupant was stabbed with a machete. He's undergone surgery in Liverpool Hospital.
Police are investigating after two men were killed in a collision between a freight train and truck in the New South Wales southwest slopes. The men were in a B-double which was hit by the freight train at a level crossing in Bribery, 70 kilometres northwest of Young, yesterday afternoon. A report is being prepared for the coroner. The number of patients seeking care in private hospitals is starting to bounce back since the start of the pandemic. The treatments are still down from the 2019 figures affected by the shutdown in Victoria and the short-term restrictions in South Australia. Australian Private Hospitals Association CEO Michael Roth says it should return to the previous levels. I think that's probably mostly due to the ongoing restrictions that were in place in Victoria at the end of 2020 and we're hopeful that uh, with the surgical restrictions being lifted now around the country that we can get back to normal levels of activity and also help the public hospital system clear some of their waiting lists. It's feared tourists could eventually be banned from some areas of Moreton Island in Queensland. A new law will go to Queensland Parliament, which will see management of the island shared by Parks and Wildlife and a local Aboriginal corporation. Tour operators are worried some of the most iconic sites on the Sand Island could be restricted. A garbage truck driver will face court next month after he hit and killed a pedestrian in Sydney's southwestern suburbs. The 32-year-old driver allegedly hit the woman at Chester Hill yesterday morning. The woman died at the scene. The man has been charged with driving offences and granted conditional bail to face Bankstown local court. Dutch Customs Officers seized the largest heroin haul ever found in one bust in the Netherlands. They discovered 1,500 kilograms of the drug in Rotterdam with a street value of $55 million. The drugs were hidden in a container filled with Himalayan salt from Pakistan. Five people have been arrested, three of them remanded in custody. Two gynaecological advocates have received the 2021 Jeannie Ferris Cancer Australia Recognition Award. Journalists the late Jill Amberson and Professor Karen Canfell have received the honour for Teal Ribbon Day. Cancer Australia CEO Professor Dorothy Keefe says Ms Amberson was a great advocate. While she was alive, she dedicated her life to uh, supporting women with um, this disease, raising funds for research talking about um, ovarian cancer so that women would become more aware. And she even um, developed a podcast called Still Jill where she talks about her own cancer journey and that sort of thing is incredibly useful. Updating Sport Australia and Qatar have withdrawn from the Copa American Tournament. They were to have competed in the event in Argentina and Colombia in June and July. Elise Perry's been named in Australia's 17-player limited over squad to tour New Zealand in March and April. Perry's returning from timeout with a hamstring injury. Darcy Brown and Henna Darlington have been named in the squad for the first time. Tributes are pouring in for Geelong staffer Vic Fuller. Fuller collapsed during an AFL training session on Monday and died. The 79-year-old spent nearly 50 years at the club. And the Perth Wildcats were too strong for the Sydney Kings in the NBL Cup overnight. The Kings went down 113 to 106. In finance, the Dow Jones is down 40 points at 31,481. One Australian dollar is buying 79.14 US cents. This is Super Network News. 
2SM Sydney weather. Cloudy with showers and southerly winds shifting northeasterly. We're heading for top temperatures of 25 degrees in the city, 24 in the west. Looking further ahead, cloudy with the chance of showers tomorrow, Friday and Saturday. At the moment in the city, 17 degrees, 16 at Bankstown, 17 at Richmond. That's the latest 2SM News. I'm Diane Coveney-Garland. Now Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Okay, 25 minutes away from 7.13.12.69. The telephone number, of course, the big news breaking late yesterday is that Facebook has reached a deal with Seven West Media to pay for news and has restarted negotiations with Nine Entertainment after the tech giant reversed its ban on news on its Australian sites. The Morrison government agreed to changes to its proposed media bargaining code yesterday in order to bring Facebook back to the negotiating table. What do you make of that, 131269? Jai, hello, mate. How are you? Hey, Marcus. How are you doing, mate? I'm a big fan and a first-time listener. First-time listener or first-time caller? Oh, no, sorry, first-time caller. It's, you know, this time of the morning, Mark. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. When the alarm goes off, 3.30 every morning, I, I, I jump out of bed, but then I have to go straight to the shower to wake up. <laughs> yeah, me too, and I've got to have Jimmy Barnes playing, mate. No second prize. Jimmy Barnes, no second no, prize. Mate. You don't have a mullet, do you? No, no, that's my co-worker. Uh, the reason I ask is because I see a story in the paper today saying that uh, private schools in Sydney are, are going to ban the mullet. A private school, the iconic 80s do that boasted business up the front and party down the back, is apparently being banned by... Uh, which school is it? Just trying to have a look here. It's one of uh, Sydney's most private schools. It's not Knox or Kings, is it? No, nah, not Knox or Kings, although I don't know, would you turn up to... Knox or Kings, any of those grammar schools wearing a mullet? I don't know. Would they let you in? Probably not. I'm not sure, but it's almost like an Australian icon, the mullet, honestly. Well, it is. Um, I don't know whether it's fashionable. Maybe it is. Maybe it's... Look, the story here here is um, a Sydney private school has told any of its boys sporting mullets that they face a trip to the barber if they don't get rid of their retro cut. Hairdressers were yesterday divided on Waverley College. There you go, Waverley College. The deputy principal, Patrick Brennan, his mullet missive... Basically telling students that the hairstyle made famous by John Farnham and Warwick Kappa would not be accepted at the Eastern Suburbs School. What do you make of that? Come on. Uh, I think it's almost a little too... You know, these guys are young. You know, they've got personality. Yeah. They're looking to express themselves. The fact that their mum and dad are paying for them to go to some Ritzy Dits private school, I don't think that should affect their, you know, personalities outside of school. No. And for goodness sake. Uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I don't know what to... Look, if you go, if, have a mullet. well, and the thing is, too, you've got to wonder whether uh, you know these private schools, when they put their foot down on these kinds of issues, you've got to wonder whether uh, they will start to see a, a, a drop off, if you like, in their uh, applicants. Maybe not. I don't know. It costs a fortune to go to these schools. It's I'm hoping for a mutiny, Mark. A mutiny. Yeah, well, they've got the mullets already. All they need is a bandana and an eye patch, and I love it's basically it. HMS Pinafore. I love it. I love it. Mate, what did you ring for, by the way? Just a ring. Mate, I actually, um, I've been a big fan of yours ever since this whole collaboration with Marcus and he was calling you a prawn. You know, it was great marketing and you took it like a sport. And really, I wanted to tell you, mate, I've got a bunch of sustainable fertiliser. It's all seaweed-based and you've got it for free. It's all on tap. 
It's all on tap. Sustainable crap. I love it. Thank you, mate. 131269, the telephone number. <laughs> I'll put you back to Justin. Uh, my associate will take care of you. You can give him the crap. Uh, but no, thank you very much for the call, Giant. It's great to hear from you at this early point of the morning. 131269 is my telephone number. <laughs> Just talk to the bloke, see if he's real with his sustainable crap. It'll be interesting to know. 21 minutes away from seven. Just quickly back to this story. A man and a woman will appear in court today after allegedly street racing in Sydney's southwest in January. I kind of rushed it as we headed to the news at at seven. uh, I beg your pardon, at 6.30. It happened at around 20 to 2 on Sunday, January 10. Officers saw a Subaru Liberty travelling west along Camden Valley Way, Preston's, before stopping at the intersection of Bernera Road behind a a Honda Prelude. As the traffic light turned green, both cars allegedly accelerated down Bernera Road with police detecting their speed at around 120 kilometres an hour. Problem is, it's a 60k zone. So both the cars were stopped. A 19-year-old woman was driving the Subaru, and a 20-year-old bloke was driving the Honda. Both provisional drivers, P2 drivers, they were issued court attendance notices for exceeding the limit by more than 45 kilometres an hour and street racing. The woman's from Hoxton Park, the bloke's from Bardwell Park, and they'll have to explain their actions to the magistrate at Liverpool Local Court today. Boy, oh boy. We're going to catch up very soon with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Kristen O'Connell is their spokesperson. Uh, That's coming up in around about five minutes or so, just in relation to the job seeker changes. Job seeker. It's a meagre rise, and some are calling it a, a bit of a political fix that'll only tighten the screws on the unemployed. And damned it. If it beats people in, you know, keeps people in poverty, too bad that it won't even recover lost ground since the payment was decoupled from flat wages growth back in 1997. I mean, I would have thought at least we should ensure that any job seeker payments are in line with the poverty line. No, apparently not. You've got to remember, look, I'm, of course, people need to get out and work. I get that. But two out of every three dollars that's given to Australians in social security is recirculated back into our economy. The new figure represents a $100 per fortnight cut in the rate. That's despite the spin that the Prime Minister and the Treasurer and others will put on it today. It represents a $100 per fortnight cut as the coronavirus supplement of $150 is due to end on March 31. The Morrison government will consider the political issue solved, and anybody who dares question it like me, well, will be labelled as ungrateful. I mean, that's the problem. This Prime Minister only thinks in the hollow terms of political problems. Humanity doesn't seem to figure in the equation. Worse, for a man who thinks he knows the answer, he has never suffered the real problem. Neither he or almost anyone in his government has ever had to do the threadbare arithmetic of blunt survival. Never have had to make a decision to skip meals or medications to feed a family. Never had a single sudden expense trigger a five-year-old debt spiral. 
a five-year debt spiral, I should say. There have been no back-to-back years of punishing stress, which exacts its toll not only on the mind but the body as well. His children have not been raised in the kind of penury that scientific studies have shown actually reduce the volume and surface area of brain matter in young people by as much as 20%. That's kids in poverty. These shrinkages of the brain occur not because of a lack of access to nourishing food, although these are also problems, nor do they occur because of poorer access to health, dentistry and quality education, although these are all issues too. The studies show our brains fade away precisely because of the stress that poverty breeds in the home. It is the mental and physical exertion that does it. The ambient terror of not knowing how the day will unfold or if you will make it through. Young children absorb this persistent anxiety in their own bodies. The way our teeth collect and preserve casium isotopes after radioactive exposure. None of these things has ever applied to the Prime Minister Scott Morrison. The problem is not necessarily that he has not lived his, this life, but that he refuses to accept the testimony of the millions of people who have. Millions. It reaches further down into the public service, where often well-meaning people are forced to reduce the rich and complicated human tapestry to mere budget constraints and policy priorities. For those who have not lived the life of gritty survival, it is difficult to really understand the consequences of enduring scarcity. After These aftershocks bleed into every area of government service delivery and into every budget. Even if you don't have a heart for such things, the head demands sober analysis, for example, the industrial-scale automation of settling debts, hundreds of thousands of which never existed, cost the government more than $2 billion in repayments and squandered administrative time. It shunted people into the appalling mental health care system, itself underfunded, and where crisis compounded family breakdown or neglect, the disastrous and unlawful program funneled people into the police, justice and child protection system. It is important to say what ought to be obvious here. Some members of the government and others elsewhere in public life believe that all of this dysfunction springs from the moral centre of people in poverty rather than understanding that the conditions a daily, often hourly, effort to simply exist in the engine room of discord. I mean, it's ridiculous. Frequently, those at the top of the ladder are simply projecting. The preoccupation of the middle and upper classes with those who have nothing has been, for hundreds of years at least, based on the peculiar notion that the poor were as greedy and lazy as they were. The reality is that few work harder than those who have no choice. 13, 12, 69. Quick break. And we're back in a moment with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union's Christian O'Connell. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 11 minutes away from 7. As we know, unemployed Australians will get an extra $50 a fortnight after the COVID-19 supplement ends in March as the federal government cracks down on job seekers who refuse to work. Well, that's the News Corp line anyway. PM Scott Morrison announced the permanent change to the job seeker base rate yesterday, describing it as... Yes, the single largest increase since the 1980s. 
There we go. Old Primo at it again with his slogans. Mr Morrison said the increase, which will cost the budget $9 billion over the forward estimates, represented a shift from emergency supports such as the coronavirus supplement toward long-term stability. But what he hasn't mentioned, of course, is the fact that it's not really an increase. In an economic crisis that's persisting right now, the unemployed will go back to mandatory requirements to apply for 20 jobs a month. I mean, that's in total ignorance of the fact that there are more people looking for jobs than there are actually job openings. Kristen O'Connell is from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union and joins us on the program. Kristen, good morning and thank you for your time. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for having us. It's just not enough, is it? 43-odd bucks a, a week, a day, sorry, to live off. No, look, I think if it wasn't so grim, it would be an absolute joke. It's a slap in the face from the Prime Minister to 1.4 million people and their kids, and not just those people on unemployment payments, but people on parenting payment too um, are affected by the cut to the current supplement. And it's just um, kind of unfathomable to think that uh, not only could someone come up with this policy, let alone spruik it um, and pretend that it's something to crow about. What I'm worried about as well are the job services providers. I mean, this system, which has basically uh, been responsible for chewing billions of dollars of taxpayer funds as a sort of corporate money laundering program for your for our taxes. I mean, providers of these services can do real harm. They harass, punish and control where dignity is wrung from the people in the system. I mean, it's it's a concern, really, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's and you know these job agencies uh, have free reign; they have complete control um, to cut people off these you know mega payments. That if you're trying to live on half the poverty line, and I'm I'm not going to start talking about we're on fifty three percent of the poverty line because it's so ridiculous. Which oh. the raise really hasn't made a difference. No. But when you're living on that kind of money, the um, deep fear of missing even a single payment means people are terrified to stand up for themselves. They don't want to say, I think you're not allowed to bully me. I think you're not allowed to threaten me. I don't think you can actually force me to do work for the doll. Mm. Um, Because they think if they do that, there's a risk that their payment will be cut, even if they're in the right. And that's true. Um, We saw last year reporting that of 500,000 payment suspensions, 125,000 of them didn't even have a rule breach, let alone how ridiculous the rule breaches are that get you cut off your payment, mm. a quarter of them didn't have it. Um, so, yeah, the job agencies are absolutely sucking um, public money out of the system that could be going to support people and our ability to eat um, and to pay the bills. Um, yeah, it's particularly uh, galling at this time to see they're going to essentially um, have more powers um, to hurt people while we're struggling to cope with this cut. All right, and now, of course, we've got the Employment Services Minister, Michaelia Cash, mm-hmm. announcing that a special hotline where employers mm-hmm. can dob in job applicants who turn them down for work. I mean, for a government that's revealed its callousness, I guess, toward those who have been allegedly sexually assaulted, abused or bullied, even if it's in its own ranks, what chance do the totally powerless unemployed have when bosses retreat to the ministerial red phone? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's clear what the government's strategy is here. The more they brutalise poor people, the easier it is to crack down on wages and conditions for the poor people who have wage jobs. And so obviously we know now that employers are going to be able to hold this threat over people who they're trying to hire when they know that maybe their wages and conditions are not acceptable, maybe not um, 
you know, probably not, not uh, following the law in many cases. You know, there are lots of bad jobs out there that exploit people because they're unemployed. Um, but, you know, you'll be afraid, afraid that they'll pick up that phone, afraid that you will lose your um, nearly your $300 a fortnight, yeah. um, sorry, a week. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's just another way to strike fear um, in people. And we know, again, people are stuck on payments for an average of three and a half years particularly over 55, end up on these payments often until retirement. And so it's just not realistic to think that you can um, crack a whip on one end and have a stick on the other and actually force people into jobs that don't exist. Oh, this carrot and stick approach, it's not going to work. Uh, Look, you've got recipients currently receiving $150 coronavirus supplements per fortnight, which will end next month. Under this new deal, single people on the dole will get $615.70 a fortnight. Recipients have been campaigning for the full 550 coronavirus supplement to be reinstated and made permanent. That's a part, of course, of the hashtag 80-a-day campaign by your union and others. Look, even if it didn't go to 80, at least 75 might have been a pretty good place to start getting closer to that poverty line. That's right. And we've maintained that, you know, any... Honestly, we didn't actually think it would need to be used in these circumstances, but we felt any increase obviously would provide some more relief to people because every dollar does count. Um, That is why people can't afford a bus ticket um, or can't afford, you know, to... to, um, go and grab, you know, a small portion of something from the shop for a dollar. It's every dollar counts, but this is um, beyond a joke where we're at now. Uh, the call to get $80 a day uh, is based, as you said, on the poverty line. And yesterday the minister was asked by um, a journalist on the Hack program on Triple J, why did you not base this decision on the expert advice that you received? Yeah. And you know, the minister had nothing to come back to with that. And frankly, I don't think she was expecting to be asked that kind of question because the government is so unaccountable and the press gallery don't ask questions like that of them well, we much do. ever. We would, we would if we got the chance to talk yeah. to them. They won't come on this program. No, I think it's sure. pretty obvious why, Kristen, because we don't yeah. sing to their hymn book. Uh, no. it's, it's a slap in the face, it really is. And it's yeah. not enough. Uh, I understand... We need to be fiscally responsible. I get all of that, and I support, you know, governments over the forward estimates ensuring that we account for every single dollar. But why is it, with all the excess and the largesse that goes on and, you know, literally billions of dollars being wasted uh, year in, year out by our government, why is it that those who are the most vulnerable always seem to be in the firing line, whether it's pensioners or the unemployed? It's just wrong. I think the government sees us as an easy target. Um, they do. They put a lot of effort, actually, into um, drumming up, uh, you know, distrust in the community for yep. people who are unemployed, and you know, peddling just endless lies about people turning down work. I mean, of the, I think there were about two hundred and fifty thousand suspensions in twenty eighteen of people's yeah. payments. Um, around penalties, and uh, 114 of those were for people who turned down work. So this idea that there are people turning down jobs is just completely not backed up by evidence. Um, the idea that everyone on the dole is like a young guy who uh, is, you know, hanging out in the lounge room playing video games is ludicrous. We know the largest group of people on payments is women over 55. Absolutely, um, because no one yeah. wants to employ them, uh, Kristen. Well, that's that's right. the problem. Age discrimination this... is a huge problem. Yeah. Ageism um, is an issue. Ageism mm, is real. It happens. And absolutely. anybody over the age of, I don't know, 50-odd, 55... Yeah. Uh, looking, you know, with experience, you turn up there with your CV, it's chock full of life experience, different jobs. But, you know, the, the younger people who are employing them, if you like, are looking down on them. And it's wrong. 
Absolutely. And we've been hearing throughout the um, recession that older people are not only facing that discrimination, but we've had the government exacerbating that discrimination through programs like JobMaker. Mm. And going back to your point earlier about what we're wasting money on, the government has decided to bring in this $4 billion program, which perversely uh, takes $200 a week, it puts it into the hand of employers, um, provides them no other incentive to create a job, yeah. um, and took $200 a week out of the pocket of unemployed people. They brought in a $200 a week cut, at the same time as they gave it a $200 a week boost to employers. And those jobs, are, that, that subsidy is only available to people um, who are under the age of 35. So, of course, you've got existing ageism compounded by the fact that the government will literally hand employers money yep. just to bring on people under 35. And people under 35 don't see a cent of that money. It goes straight to the employer. Um, so that's, you know, one of the ways in which we're wasting money. The Treasury said that um, of that $4 billion program, um, where they estimated it could create up to 450,000 jobs and will support up to 450,000 jobs. Mm. But when they were asked by the Senate how many they really felt would be created, they said between 0 and 10%. So at most, they're looking at forty to 45,000 jobs for this $4 billion. And that's just one of, you know, myriad programs oh, but it's that great don't ec- deliver value. It's great economic management, Kristen. Mm. Thank you for coming on the program. No we'll problem, keep talking. Marcus. We'll keep bringing these issues up and hopefully um, we'll get it out to as many people as we can so yeah. uh, Australians can understand that the wool is being pulled out over our eyes and we need to be very careful who we look to vote in after the next federal election because I don't want three or four more years of the same rubbish. No. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Marcus. Bye. Okay, 13 12 69, the telephone number. If you would like to have your say, it's Marcus Paul in the morning. Coming up, Christina Keneally, not too far away. We'll catch up with her. Uh, plenty to talk about in relation to the hashtag home to Belo family. Uh, plenty now on side of getting this uh, Sri Lankan family back home to Queensland. We'll talk about that very soon with uh, Senator Keneally and Helen Dalton on the program as well after 7.30. All right, welcome back to the program. It's now seven and a half minutes after seven. Marcus Paul in the morning on this uh, 24th day of February 13, 1269 is my telephone number. Now, a Tamil family seeking asylum here in Australia will remain, as we know, on Christmas Islands for now. It's after the full federal court upheld a previous ruling relating to the immigration status of their youngest child. Lawyers for the family are now calling on the federal government to immediately release the family from detention. Priya and Nadis and their Australian-born daughters, uh, Kopika, who's five, and uh, Thanukia, who's three, have been living in or had been living in Biloela in central Queensland. But, of course, we know back in 2018, immigration officials transferred them to a Melbourne detention centre and they were then shipped off to Christmas Island off Western Australia as a last-minute injunction on an attempt to deport them to Sri Lanka. It's costing a fortune to keep these four four people, four people, It's costing taxpayers an absolute fortune to keep them locked away. And there's a campaign that's been running now for quite some time by a number of high-profile politicians, and the support keeps growing to get this family hashtag home to Bilo, or Bilo. I think it's Bilo. Supporters of this family now include former Prime Minister Tony Abbott, 
Julie Bishop, Michael McCormick and Jim Molan. They join Anthony Albanese, Barnaby Joyce, Andrew Giles, Alan Jones, myself and countless others in wanting this family sent home. Christina Keneally is also a supporter of this campaign and she joins us on the program. Christina, good morning. Oh, good morning, Marcus. Good morning to your listeners. Thank you. Uh, it's time to bring this sorry Starga to an absolute conclusion. Get this family back home. Marcus, you're absolutely right. It is costing us $50 million so far to keep this family of four, including their two Australian-born children, locked up in immigration detention on Christmas Island. They pose no risk to the community. Their community in Biloela wants them back. And as you point out, this is not a labor-liberal left-right issue. Across the political spectrum, people want this family to come home to their local community in Queensland. The only three people, it seems, in Australia who want this family to remain in detention are the three people who have the power to end this nightmare today, Scott Morrison, Peter Dutton, and Immigration Minister Alex Hawke. All right, well, Mr Hawke has an opportunity to look at the uh, Billowilla case with fresh eyes. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the, the number is staggering. I mean, aren't we being told after yesterday's announcement of a slight bump to the job seeker payment, aren't we being told that uh, we have a government that wants to be prudent with our taxpayer dollars? They want to ensure that they're not wasting money mm-hmm. and, you know, they need to keep an eye on things like the budget bottom line for mm-hmm. forward estimates, and yet they're quite happy to waste how much? $50 million to prove a political point and keep four people locked off, locked away off our coast in WA. It just doesn't make sense. How hypocritical is this nonsense? Josh Frydenberg stands up and says every dollar we're spending at the moment is a borrowed dollar, uh, and we have to be very careful with it. Well, you know, why are we spending $50 million borrowed dollars then that we're going to have to pay back? So there'll be an interest cost. This will get more expensive, and this is going to keep on going. Uh, you know, and the federal court recently said that the Commonwealth have not given this family, particularly their youngest daughter, due process in assessing her claim for protection. I mean, this is a farce. And, you know, Alex Hawke, as the immigration minister, does not have to wait for a court decision or another no, process. No. He could just, he has the power today to sign a piece of paper and let this family, Nada Zimpria and her two children, yeah. come home to Bilal. Is it uh, because Peter Dutton and perhaps Mr Hawke and certainly the Prime Minister Scott Morrison want to continually prove or provide a political point, uh, if you like, in, in order to keep our borders safe and secure? We all know we need to keep our borders safe and secure. We all get that. Of course we do. Of course we do. And you know, Labor has supported strong measures to keep the border safe, including boat turnbacks, regional processing centres, you know, and Quite frankly, the idea, though, that this family who were allowed to come to Australia, allowed to get married, allowed to have children, they worked, they paid taxes, they volunteered in the local community, they were known and loved by the Biloela community, the fact that they were bundled out of their house in the middle of the night, shipped off to an immigration detention centre in Melbourne and shipped off to another immigration detention centre uh, in Christmas Island. It smacks of cruelty. Yeah. It smacks of hard-heartedness. It smacks of stubbornness. And what I would say to the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is, you know, the other day, 
he made reference that he is the father of daughters, and he can't conceive mm. of himself as anything other than a husband and a, the father of daughters. You know, and that's how he somehow needed to process the horrible allegation of rape of a young woman here in the defense minister's um, office. Yep. Well, what I say to him, if you are the father of daughters, look at your two children, mm. prime minister, and imagine what their life would be like if they were two little girls locked up on Christmas Island, if they had spent most of their life now locked up in immigration detention, and think about what you would want for your daughters in that situation, and let them come home. All right, just on a couple of other issues. Um, first of all, we'll go to we've got to be very careful now because the young woman at the uh, centre of the initial incident that's alleged, uh, Brittany Higgins, will be speaking to the federal police today and mm. she'll be making a complaint now, uh, hopefully at complete arm's length of the immigration, uh, uh, well, uh, ministers and, mm. and political pressure and all the rest, even her, her partner, and I'm going to talk about that later on the program, her partner, David, who's an old producer of mine at Radio 2 C mm. in Canberra, even he's had to quit his job because he fears repercussions in the, in the future. Uh, but this whole thing has been handled abysmally, Christina. Uh, it has, and I mean, they're deeply disturbing um, allocations. They're shocking to think that we're even having to say sentences like a rape that allegedly occurred on the minister's couch in the minister's office. And, you know, we have to acknowledge and respect the bravery of Brittany Higgins and every other woman who is now coming forward. And, you know, our determination is that the wishes and the interests of, of Brittany Higgins and these women are respected and supported. But, I just do not understand at a human level, set aside all the responsibilities the defense minister should have had as an employer, but as a human level, as a human being, how you can live for two years knowing that this alleged rape occurred in your office and the, the victim has not had the support the medical or psychological support or the access to justice that she should have. And that's what I think is the extraordinary horror of this, is not just the alleged rape, but also the compounding trauma of the last two years. All right. Uh, now let's move on to this increase to the job seeker payment. Unemployed Australians will get an extra $50 mm. a fortnight. Very generous. After the COVID-19 supplement ends in March, the federal government is cracking down on job seekers who shirk work or refuse to work. Uh, mm. I've spoken to the unemployment union this morning and I've, I've heard pl- and I've received plenty of correspondence from those that work in the social security uh, sector. They're appalled. I mean, this isn't an increase. Basically, it's a decrease. Uh, but the Prime Minister will try and promote it, as he always does, with more slogans and marketing today, suggesting right. that he is the only Prime Minister to have effectively increased the dole since the 1990s. That's just rubbish. Mm, look, I, the government did the right thing during the, the the height of the coronavirus pandemic, and they increased Job Seeker with a supplement that meant for the first time there were Australians who could do things like buy fresh fruit and vegetables, get a new pair of shoes, get eyeglasses fixed. And can I just make the point, it's not just about those individuals having access to 
basic quality of life necessities. It's also about them spending money in the local communities because every time you buy shoes or, or fruit and vegetables or get your eyeglasses fixed, you're spending money in a local shop. Well, two-thirds out of every dollar that's spent or two out of three mm. dollars uh, that we give out in Social Security payments, Christina, uh, are recirculated back into the economy. Absolutely, absolutely. And right now with the economy uh, struggling, uh, with you know work being so insecure, uh, with, uh, with wages being stagnant, what the last thing the economy needs is a cut. But yet uh, what we're going to see here really is um, an increase of about $3.50 per day, taking the total to $43.50 per day. Now, that's incredibly difficult to live on, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in the private rental market or especially if you've run down your savings, if you had any, during the coronavirus. But yet this will be the reality for 1.3 million Australians come 1 April. So, you know, what we are saying is, one, we're not going to oppose an increase of any type. Like, I think it would of be course. ridiculous for us to oppose an increase of any sort. Mm. But, you know, I think with this government, with Scott Morrison in particular, the devil is always in the detail. And what we do need to see here um, is how this, they need to explain how, one, this amount is enough to assist families on JobKeeper to actually meet the cost of living. Because in Australia, families and their children should be able to live with dignity. Well, it's below and the poverty line. Be able to, it is. You know, and and yeah. how do you, I mean, I think for a lot of people, of your listeners, who will either have themselves been in difficult economic circumstances or know mm. someone who is, you know, when you've got to do things like apply for a job, you need to be able to get transport you might be able to need to get some additional training. You need to get some clothes to wear. You need to get your, you know, you have make sure you have access to dental and medical care. Well, you can't do that on $3.60 yeah. extra a day. And mm-hmm. the new figure, really, it represents a $100 per fortnight cut in the rate mm-hmm. as the coronavirus supplement of 150 bucks is due to end on, uh, well, the end of next month. Anyway, Christina, I'll leave it there. We'll have more to talk about, no doubt, next week. Thank you for joining us on the program again. That hashtag, home to Bilo. Is it Bilo or Bilo? Uh, Bilo. 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 Of course. So get on board. (laughs) Plenty of others are, including Anthony Albanese. uh, And from the the other side of politics, Tony Abbott, Julie Bishop, Michael McCormick, Jim Molan, Barnaby Joyce even, along with uh, Albo and Andrew Giles. Uh, There are countless others who want this family returned home to Belo and your good self, Christina Keneally. It's great to have you on the programs uh, this morning. Thank you, Marcus. 2SM Sydney Traffic. Parramatta, Victoria Street, just past James Bruce Drive, a car motorcycle accident eastbound direction. A car break down Mays Hill, the M4 Burnett Street eastbound direction, and Greenacre, Roberts Road to Juno Parade, a car broken down northbound lane to also taken out through that area. Your local Caltex may have changed to Ampol branding, but your Star Card and the new Ampol Card are both accepted at Altex and Ampol branded locations. Look out for the red and blue A today. That's the latest traffic with Marcus Paul in the morning on 2SM 1269. Weekday afternoons with Brent Voltage. Kate McClymouth. Hello, Kate. Hello, Brent. The two properties that Melissa Caddick owns should be sold immediately, mainly because the mortgage payment on both of them um, are $400,000 a year. And the victims are saying, well, why should should we be paying the mortgages on these properties when the properties themselves, they allege, were bought out of their money? Brent's Voltitude. Okay, purse, check. Mobile, check. Shopping list, check. Son playing in the driveway. 
didn't check. Tragically, each year children are being killed or injured in low-speed runovers, often in driveways at home. So, actively supervise children around vehicles, separate play areas from driveways and garages, and C, always make sure you check around the vehicle before you get in and drive. See gjfoundation.com.au for more information, acknowledgements to Safe Kids New Zealand and Transport for New South Wales. Finance Easy can help you through these uncertain financial times. Whether you need to get on top of bills, business loans, car loans, equipment finance, Finance Easy can take the stress out of finding finance with Australia's best rates. We are here to support the community. Chat to us online or over the phone and let us take care of everything. Visit financeeasy.com.au or call 1300-003-003. Finance Easy. That's E-Z-I. We make getting what you want easy. Get 20% off the OzClean range now at Woolworths. The OzClean range of cleaning products is free from hazards often found in other common household cleaning products. OzClean's range covers the entire house, including kitchen, bathroom, laundry and living room, even carpets. OzClean cleaning products actually work. They're eco-friendly and 100% Australian made and owned. Get 20% off the OzClean range now at Woolworths. Hi, Kirk Pengilly from InXS here. And whether it's music, sweet things, puppies, movies, we all love our treats. But our eyes need treating too. 300,000 Australians, including me, are affected by glaucoma. Diagnosed early, glaucoma can be managed. Left undiagnosed, it can cause blindness. So treat yourself by treating your eyes to a simple test. Book your test at treatyoureyes.org.au today. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11-colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. Unscripted, genuine, sometimes silly. Back in the day, I was a, you know, a coming at you kind of radio announcer. Alrighty, let's get into it. Round number one of 1FM scores. Alrighty, the first question is, my name is... I beg your pardon, we'll start again. My God, what? Hello, I'm Marcus Paul on the radio playing <laughs> oh, the hits. Yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> That's gold, absolute gold. What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, it's 24 minutes after 7, 13, 12, 69, my telephone number. Hundreds of extra train services will run through Sydney's inner west and T8's airport lines every week under a $1 billion plan to increase peak hour capacity by up to 80% on parts of the transport network by 2024. Uh, I'm informed that the state government will set aside the money in tomorrow's half-yearly budget update to bolster network capacity in time for the Metro City and South West's opening. 131269, the telephone number, emails, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Sue says, good morning, Marcus. There are job seekers who are fit and able to work but won't for whatever reason. And then there are those that are disabled through injury or medical reason and are over 50 like me. I'm 63. I've been declared the disability service pension. Medication and psychological services that are not bulk billed, so I have to pay just to keep going. 
I have spinal cord uh, chronic pain issues. But Centrelink do not accept depression and anxiety disorders. When I reach 67 and a half years, I will be granted a pension. I suggest a different payment for people in the same predicament as me and many others. Probably there are millions. Some are not grateful for the amount they receive, but it's also demeaning to hear all the time that we are dole bludgers. Okay, thank you. Barry Collier, in relation to Jobseeker, says, Good morning, Marcus. ScoMo from Marketing has done it again. His increase in Jobseeker isn't enough for a decent cup of coffee a day. Time ScoMo wiped that smug, self-satisfied look off his style and showed some real care and compassion for those out there who are struggling to keep their heads above water. I'm ashamed to have this bloke as my Prime Minister. Barry. Uh, Lee, regarding hydrocloxy, or hydro, whatever that bloody name is. So sick to death hearing about it. Anyway, hi Marcus, I was prescribed hydroxychloroquine many years ago for autoimmune disease. My specialist had to take me off it due to a frightening side effect. Every time I hear it being promoted, I worry. Of course, not everyone would have the same reaction as me, but be careful what you wish for. You are right to be cautious about this. Well, look, it's not just me being cautious about it. The facts are quite clearly that it's not something the government's endorsed. And Neil just doesn't seem to get it. Perhaps you should look at where the much heralded medical officers get their information from. Shortly, uh, or surely not the World Health Organization, remember they haven't done any studies re-COVID-19 themselves uh, in relation to the chief medical officer's opinions. Well, I think that's very unfair, Neil, and I'll tell you why, because no other country in the world probably Bar New Zealand, has done as well as we have in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Now, what is it with Tiger Woods in another car accident? He's been involved in a single car rollover in California. He suffered quite serious leg injuries, we're told. Just looking at vision now on the television. Gee, he really did a number on the car, but this isn't the first time that he's been seriously injured in car accidents. Uh, And I don't know how you have that kind of accident on a road that looks pretty safe to me. Anyway, uh, Tiger Woods in hospital again after another serious accident. Remember the last time uh, he had a big prang? This was inside the gated community that he lived in, and it was shortly after he was exposed, you know, as being a cheater. 13 12 69, the telephone number, if you would like to have your say. Facebook has refriended with us. The tech titan has struck deals with the government over the media code, so you will start to see more news returning to your huh, news feeds over the coming days. And no doubt, once things become a little bit more transparent, we'll find out exactly what's involved there. But I wonder how much Facebook will be paying our big news corporations, and no doubt... No doubt, Rupert Murdoch will be waking up with a smile on his face and sending a nice little text to Scott Morrison to say thanks for the hard work. Or maybe to Josh Frydenberg, who's been front and centre in all of this. I've noticed that the uh, inner-city West councillor who represents the Balmain Ward, Darcy Byrne, has come under more attacks. Multiple multiple Liberal Party politicians have apparently sought to have him removed from office as the elected mayor because 
They've blown the whistle on the government's $252 million council grants slush fund. He's this morning on social media, at least, calling on the Premier Gladys Berejiklian to stop the witch hunt and sit down with him to discuss how the $24 million the inner west was cheated out of will be returned. So there we go. Liberal councillors have apparently tried to move uh, in contravention of the Local Government Act that he should be undemocratically removed from office as mayor. Well, there you go. He says he's not going to be intimidated, Darcy Byrne. He was undemocratically removed from office once before when Mike Baird abolished councils. So we've, uh, oh, we've sent a message to, um, to Darcy and hopefully he'll get back to us. 13 12 69, the telephone number. If you would like to have you say this morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Helen Dalton, not too far away. Uh, and this note has come through as well from Wayne, uh, just in relation to job seeker payments. Just waiting for it to refresh on my screen here. Thank you for your note, Wayne. G'day, Marcus. As a nearly 60-year-old male, I've applied for so many jobs and never seemed to get a reply back. After going to a job agency, I was informed that because of my age, my chances of getting a job is unlikely and government giving uh, and the government giving bosses cash payments to employ people up to the age of 35. As I'm not able to get any assistance due to my wife working, we live on one wage. I have depression and most times I feel not worthy as I can't earn an income. I guess there are a lot of males and females in this position of my age. And that is the problem. Absolutely right. Ageism is a major, major issue. And we need to do something to address it. And, of course, these job agencies would be licking their lips, licking their lips at the announcement yesterday that they'll have more power, if you like, to enforce people to apply for jobs. A bit hard for one point whatever it is 1.2 million unemployed Australians to apply for the just under what 200,000 odd jobs that are available but I can guarantee you 100% that these bloody job agencies again will do very well out of this thank you very much Helen Dalton is extremely disturbed by the Brittany Higgins saga in Canberra, which exposes the complete lack of oversight of government when it comes to abuse allegations. Helen has 10 local councils in her electorate. She's been inundated with complaints of sexual abuse and bullying. We'll talk to Helen about this issue right after this break. Unscripted, genuine, sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Great to have you company, 13 12 69, the telephone number. By the way, we'll have a podcast up, video podcast of my conversation with Labor's Senator Christina Keneally, who made some really good points this morning on a number of issues, including the one that I'm about to touch with Helen Dalton, MP. Yeah, Helen's extremely disturbed by the Brittany Higgins saga, which exposes the complete lack of oversight of governments when it comes to abuse allegations. So let's catch up with our hashtag water warrior. I'm enjoying my weekly chats on a Wednesday with Helen. Hello, how are you? Yeah, very well this morning. How are you? Well, not bad. Uh, we've got rain here in Sydney. Have you returned back to the Murray? Where are you? I have returned back to the electorate, but I've sneaked over the border to Rutherglen because yeah. we're having a water conference, um, and it's been hosted by Darren DeBortley, DeBortley Wines, and right. we've got the 
the brightest people around at this conference, so it should be fantastic. Well, that's good. That's good. You make sure you stand your ground, and I mean, I don't need to tell you, Helen, just give them heaps, all right? Give them hell. (laughs) I will. Thank you. Good. All right, let's talk about this really serious issue. I don't want to say too much about the allegation itself, Helen, because as you would well know, uh, young Brittany uh, is about to speak to Australian Federal Police inside the next couple of hours and make an official complaint and outline her allegations. So we'll put Brittany's story aside, but you say that it does expose the complete lack of oversight of government when it comes to abuse allegations. Why is that? It does, um, because, I, you know, I since I became an MP, I've been inundated with complaints of sexual abuse and bullying um, from different councils, and particularly Narendra Shire Council is probably the worst. So women have, literally have nowhere to go. Um, they can only complain to the council itself, who tend to just uh, protect their own and cover things up, and that happens all the time. So... Um, you know, we don't trust the Catholic Church to investigate itself. So why would we trust the government to do the same? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's ridiculous that, uh, you know, the processes that followed the allegations and there are more coming forward each and every day, as we know. And all it seems to to me, uh, reading what information I receive, and a lot of it, by the way, is off the record, so I can't broadcast it. But, I mean, there is a sense of cover-up covering one's backside and ensuring that the the responsibility of dealing with the allegations is passed down the line to somebody else. I mean, and I think it starts, to be honest, from the Prime Minister down, and it's not good enough. No, it's not. And we really do need to set up a properly funded independent body to investigate the complaints because really um, people have nowhere to go at all and um, they feel helpless. So... I will be um, contacting or approaching the state and federal governments and see that we're, to see whether we can set up mm. this independent body. Much needed, um, well overdue. Well, I think so. You're absolutely right. Any inquiry... Look, basically, first and foremost, any allegation or incident needs to start with police involvement and then there needs to be some kind of at-arm's-length support uh, for those who make the allegations. Because, you know, as you would know, Helen, if you're blowing the whistle, if you like, on on this sort of behaviour inside a government department, whether it's local, state or federal, it's going to be quite difficult for you to, oh, sadly, to maintain your, your position. I mean, uh, Brittany Higgins' uh, partner, one of my old producers at Radio 2CC in Canberra. Uh, I mean, I've been in regular touch with him each and every day. He spoke yesterday. And he basically said, I've got to go. I, I can't deal with it anymore. Uh, my job mm. is untenable. He's basically worked uh, within the government. And there is no way now that either of these two young people could ever work within the public service again, certainly not in their current positions. And that's not right. No, it's terrible. And I feel very, very, very sad for them. And um, no, it's just um, something needs to be done urgently, really, um, to protect these people and, and to really hold those that are doing the wrong thing to account. All right, Helen, we'll leave it there today. You, uh, as I say, you stick it to them at this water conference, as only you can. Uh, make sure you continue to stand up for people on floodplain harvesting and, and those who would want fair access to water, which sadly has become a commodity, and we hate that. Mm. Yes, no, we'll have uh, lots to talk about. We've had 
um, it'll be very interesting and uh, yeah. good to rub shoulders with um, uh, a lot of scientists that will be attending today, which is great. So they'll have the um, they'll have a lot of information that we can we can use and and get a greater understanding of what's happening to our river systems. Absolutely, and we look forward to uh, you updating us on this uh, this. Uh, this meeting today uh, when we chat with you next week, okay? This conference. No, look forward to that. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Helen. Okay, cheers. Bye. Uh, hashtag Water Warrior Helen Dalton on the program. All right, welcome back to the program. 131269 is my telephone number. Emails MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. And this one's come through from Diana. Diana says, Good morning, Marcus. What would the percentage of job seekers uh, would be? Now let's start this again. What would the percentage of job seekers be doll bludgers? I hate that term. I really do. But anyway, uh, Diana goes on to say, by raising the money for them, it only makes life more comfortable. Well, it depends on how much you raise it by, Di. By not giving a money increase, would that not give these people more incentive to find work? Look, I understand what you're saying. I do get it. I get it. We we need to make sure people are incentivized to go and look for these jobs. The problem is, Di, the problem is there are simply not enough jobs for the 1.2 million unemployed Australians. As of the end of January, there were around or just under 200,000 jobs available. There are also issues of ageism and where the jobs are located. Even if we feel, just say for instance, Di, even if we feel... The 200,000 jobs tomorrow, or by the end of the week, that would still leave around a million people unemployed. So why should these unemployed people, during a global pandemic, be forced to live well below the poverty line? Why should they? It's very difficult. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Yeah, Marcus Paul in the morning, we're off to the news at 8 o'clock, 13 12 69. If you would like to have your say... And, of course, emails MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. A New South Wales MP has called anti-vaxxers the most ill-informed people that we have in our society. Coffs Harbour MP Gurmish Singh's comments come after an anti-vax rally attracted more than 150 people at Coffs Harbour over the weekend. People in the crowd held signs that read, Vax is lethal, blah, 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 no carrot, no stick, just choice, and my body, my choice. Mr Singh said the concerns the vaccine would be forced on people were not warranted, and I agree with him. You don't want it, don't get it. It's that simple, really. Although, if you want to work with vulnerable people, you'll have no choice. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11 colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Ah! Back in the day, I was a, you know, a coming at you kind of radio announcer. Alrighty, let's get into it. Round number one of 1FM Scores. Alrighty, the first question is, my name is 
Oh, Biggie, Pope, we'll start again. My God, what? Hello, I'm Marcus Paul on the radio playing <laughs> oh, the hits. Yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> That's gold, absolute gold. What's your name? Marcus, Paul in the morning. All right, here we are at nine minutes after eight. 13 12 69 is our telephone number. And MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. If you would like to send us an email, what is the story with Tiger Woods? I don't want to make light of it, but... It would appear he's a much better driver on the golf course than on the roads. Uh, I mean, Woods has been injured in another serious car accident from which emergency services needed to use the jaws of life to remove him. The 45-year-old was driving the car when it crashed and rolled, sustaining major damage, according to the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Um, Woods was the sole occupant of the Genesis GV80 SUV, so he's driving a very safe, very expensive car. It crashed. Now, aerial footage of the site shows it's uh, lying on its side, surrounded by wreckage, around 10 metres off the side of the road. So he's gone down a cliff, except, uh, basically. He was taken to a nearby hospital after the accident, early Tuesday morning local time, and apparently was undergoing surgery, according to reports. But he's actually very lucky, I think, uh, to have survived this, according to the state of his car. Not good. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, also, I just wanted to mention this, and I've got a, a few emails on it, which it, I get a little disappointed when people say, Marcus, I'm sick of dole bludgers. Why can't they just get off their asses and work? I just repeat what I mentioned in my editorial this morning and in conversations, certainly with the unemployment union when I spoke to them earlier today. And the problem is, right now, During uh, this COVID-19 pandemic, there are simply not enough jobs out there for the 1.2 million unemployed Australians. As of the end of January, there are only around 200,000 job vacancies across the country. Look, There are also the issues of ageism and where the jobs are located. I mean, a 55-year-old unemployed person in Sydney shouldn't be expected to relocate to regional areas to pick fruit. Bloody tough to be told you're too old for a gig in your own town, and in particular when this is being told to you by so-called employment agencies who again will make a mozza out of the announcement of the increase, if you want to call it that, slight increase of three-odd dollars a day to the job seeker payment. Look, even if we did fill the 200,000-odd jobs tomorrow, that would still leave around a million Australians unemployed. So why the hell should they be forced to live well below the poverty line? 13, 12, 69. 12 minutes after 8. And now on Marcus Paul in the morning, Alex in the Big Smoke. Chelios, hello. Hello, how are you? Good, darling. Are you back on Facebook yet? Well, not quite yet. I think it's going to happen over the next few days. All right. Uh, Will you be seeking payment for your content? So my business model is a little bit different, so I'm not as concerned around that. Um, okay. For us, it's really a distribution channel. All right. Because um, I, I wonder, you know, like how it's all going to work. I mean, should I be requesting perhaps, I mean, my site itself um, I, is reaching more than a million people a month and I'm yeah. creating news. Should I not be paid for the news con- that I'm putting, uh, content that I'm putting out? The argument for me is that 20 years ago, if you or I were trying to reach those audiences, we would be investing a lot of money into that. True. Reach. So, you know, you don't ask a billboard to pay the, the news site that they're promoting mm. um, 
to put themselves up there and get in front of people. Unless you're News Corp, of course. Well, that's a different, <laughs> different situation. Hmm. Yeah. All right, how can you be funny at work and on Zoom meetings without upsetting anybody? I mean, apparently research has found that your colleagues look at you a little differently when you make a joke and it doesn't quite hit the mark. Yeah, it's a it's a funny thing because you know humor is what bonds pe- like bonds people, and mm. it's how you build rapport with your colleagues. And so this is research that looked into what actually happens in the workplace during COVID when you're on in a remote setting. You don't really you miss that nuance of of, of the person. Um, so really, it was funny though because it was really around self-deprecation. So which is such an Australian. Um, you know, way of, of, of making a joke. Mm. But the research actually found that it works well being separate, self-deprecating if you're the boss, but not if you're not the boss. And the reason why is because it undermines you amongst others and you know how competitive people can be. The other side of it was too many people are trying to be like um, Ricky Gervais in the office. Yeah. And their, their jokes are trying to be at that level and that just makes other people feel uncomfortable <laughs> as opposed to thinking that you're funny. The other, The, the third one, though, also was around the jokes that you think for shock value are clever. Yeah. People don't interpret that as witty. They interpret you as odd. Well, that's right. Uh, and you've got to be very careful, particularly with, uh, you know, in workplaces these days when people try and, I don't know, make light or, or joke around, you know, uh, sexual innuendos, etc. cetera. Uh, I mean, you've got yeah. to be very careful. Hey, uh, are you a coffee drinker? Huge coffee drinker. How do you think I live? Silly question. Well, what about our daily cup of coffee impacting our brain? Uh, for those who yeah. drink coffee more than 10 consecutive days, what happens there? So this is fascinating because it's research that looks into caffeine consumption and the impact on the brain. And specifically what they found was that by scanning the brain, they were actually able to see changes in the grey matter volumes. So the results show that grey matter volumes decreased after regular caffeine use, but then increased if you didn't have the caffeine for a few days. Um, that what's interesting also about this research is that it's not necessarily negative. Mm. So even though we can see that daily caffeine consumption can impact our cognitive hardware, so our brain, it doesn't mean that it's bad for us. It just means it just shows evidence of the influence of what we consume and the, and, and the impact on our brain. Okay. What about uh, cryptocurrencies? A lot of people uh, are obsessed with Bitcoin, etc. What do you make of this? So one of the things that happened over the last couple of weeks is, you know, we saw an increase in a huge jump in Bitcoin in terms of value. And then, of course, you've got people like Mark Cuban and all of these people coming out and talking about it. I think there's what's fascinating about Bitcoin is unlike any other investment framework, it's really building its own culture. So part of the appeal of Bitcoin is that the people that are involved in it, they sort of see themselves as anarchists and technologists who created cryptocurrency and they're, you know, they're connecting and they're outside, they're the, on the fringes of the financial world. Um, so it has become um, something that social media and celebrities play into it. So TikTok and, and, and you know, social media really have fed into Bitcoin's popularity yeah. and why we've seen an increase in, popu- in, in that usage. But also the volatility for a lot of people is exciting. For mm. those who are investing in, um, in, 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 you know, traditional stocks, often that's a long-term play. Bitcoin is very up and down. And for a lot of people, it has the same triggers as what gambling could have. All right. Uh, why Clubhouse is the new Reddits with the removal of liking or upvoting and why they won't allow pseudonyms. Let's start, first of all, just to uh, reacquaint my listeners with what the hell Clubhouse is. So Clubhouse is a social media app um, mm. where instead of you being able to just post updates or photos, it's actually all audio. 
Oh, so of it's a drop, yes. a drop in audio chat. So for a really good example is I was actually on Clubhouse. I didn't realize the sound wasn't up, and I was talking to my boyfriend about how weird Clubhouse was, not realizing <laughs> they could all hear me <laughs> in this room full of people. Oh dear, idea. Um, and and basically the idea behind it is that you you talk to each, each other and you have these group sessions. So for example, right. the ones I'm involved with, technology and entrepreneurs and, and things like that. But why it's um, going to be an interesting antidote to the Reddits of the world is because the biggest change around it is that it allows respite from things like, you know, having to get likes and having to get lots of comments and ups and downs in votings and emojis and all that. It's really just moderated peer-to-peer conversation with people and, and an easy use experience. So I think that this is going to be what a lot of organizations will use in terms of connecting with their staff as opposed to being on Facebook or, or other platforms. All right. Uh, now, if you want to know about, or what to know, I should say, about the angry clashes and arrests over the COVID-19 rollout this week, we know that uh, Phase 1A has started of the injection process. We've had Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, uh, getting a jab the other day. Albo, looking to Chad that he is yesterday, getting his shot with no silly promo shirt. Uh, but there are a lot of people, uh, anti-vaxxers and the like, that simply will not go along with this. Yeah. So so there's been three main things that have happened over the past, um, you know, weekend in terms of the clashes. It's really about that whole my body, my choice um, concept that a lot of people are, are pushing. Um, medical coercion is a really big one that they're concerned around and then lack of clarity around how the um, how the vaccine came to market. So one of the things that I've always spoken about when it comes to the vaccine, obviously I, I'm a big believer in, in what's possible with this vaccine, um, but it really comes down to the education play because people are unsure, they don't really understand how research works. So many of these protesters, they're just, they're just so separated from what's actually happening in terms of that research that they believe that the YouTube videos that they're watching, you know, also is at that same level of of what they call research. So it's really about the government response to those fears as opposed to just hoping that, you know, arresting protesters will fix the problem. It's not going to work. All right. Well, it's great catching up with you as always, Alex. Where do we go uh, for all these wonderful stories? Thebigsmoke.com.au, not Facebook. Okay, not Facebook. So importantly, how to be funny at work uh, without upsetting anybody. I reckon dad jokes are the best way to go. Are you ready? Uh, I've got a ripper for you right now. Okay, go. The doctor came rushing into the surgery. Somebody was sitting in the chair waiting to be seen. The doctor says, sorry, I'm late. The person replied, it's okay. I'm patient. Very good. Anything? Nothing? You need You need five children, Marcus. Why? That, that, that would land really well there. It would. They'd laugh like this. <laughs> Gorillas and feel good. Marcus Paul in the morning. 13 12 69 is my telephone number. Someone who's perhaps not... Have you finished? Oh, thank you. Someone who's maybe not feeling the best today is tennis star Nick Kyrgios. He and his girlfriend have splits. With a fiery war of words exchanged on social media, so of course the tabloids have picked it up and I want to laugh at him. The world number 47 and his girlfriend Chiara Pisari began dating in July 2020 when Kyrgios returned to his hometown Canberra in the midst of the pandemic, but the pair appear to have parted ways with Miss Pisari posting a series of screenshots on social media. Ain't love Grant? She first posted an image of herself laughing courtside, captioning the picture, laughing at myself for believing a... 
with the rest of the sentence crossed out. She then posted another image to Instagram, revealing a quick-fire text exchange with Kyrgios, where the tennis star allegedly called her disgusting before telling her to enjoy her hometown of Canberra for the rest of your life. Bye! Ha ha ha! You got a dude there. You disgust me. Enjoy your life. Oh, Nick, you're such a catch. You're such a catch. Miss Pasari fired back with, You just told me everything without even knowing. To which Kyrgios replied, Good luck being Canberra the rest of your life. Ha 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 ha! I don't know, maybe this chick needs to go on married at first sight or something. Maybe a little less drama in life. <laughs> she's got the... She's had the work done. Jesus, she looks frightened. I'm not quite sure of what. Mind you, she has been with Nick Kyrgios. Anyway, she supported him throughout the Australian Open in Melbourne, attending his matches and was seen in a video call with a tennis star who later thanked her alongside his family for supporting him through the event. The pair were last seen together on February the 12th when Miss Basari cheered Kyrgios on from the stands as he bowed out of the Open. He then posted a final affectionate image of his then-girlfriend with flowers and champagne for Valentine's Day. He promised many more romantic days and to care and love her. It's been a roller coaster eight months. I want you to know that I'm incredibly thankful and blessed to have you by my side putting up with me and supporting me. I hope I can make you feel special and give you everything you deserve. I'm so lucky to have you in my life. And then a week later he's telling her that he disgusts she disgusts him. Ah, uh, well, they both unfollowed each other on Instagram, and Curious has deleted all but one photo of the pair together from his account. As I said, ain't love grand. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the telephone number. I shouldn't make light of it, but come on. Really? Can't people just be civil to each other? I don't understand. Anyway, this poor girl being involved with him... Maybe they were meant for each other, I'm not quite sure, but expect probably to hear more of this young woman who uh, will probably, as I say, appear in the next Married at First Sight or equally ridiculous television reality or reality television show that's coming soon to a screen near you. She has all the attributes. <laughs> 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning news next at 8.30. All right, welcome back to the program. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine is the telephone number. Cole, are you there, mate? Yeah, mate. Hello, Cole. What's on your mind? Mate, I just heard what you're saying about the, the Anzac stuff. Mate, uh, I think it's an insult to the average Aussie. Because, uh, they, uh, and I just want to know, are they going to still hold this gay and lesbian march? Well, I hope so. I hope so, because the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras it brings a lot of joy to a lot of people. It creates yeah, a lot of economic yeah, yeah. activity. I understand all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But you, you've got to remember, these Anzacs, and they're all the ones who fight in the war, they, they give some of these poor buggers, they give up their life. Yeah, of course that, they do. That, that, that was no fun there. No. But they, they, they want to hold Anzac Day over Australia. Yep. Because that, but they're going to let these gay and lesbians march down there. No, what, what are you talking about, these gay and lesbians? Why, why do you have to no, no, frame it in well, those uh, terms, no. these? They're, they're people just like you and I. Okay, well, these people, if, if well, they're going to be in, if they're going to be in the Anzac stuff, they should be banding that. Uh, why? Well, why shouldn't they? Why should they? No, ban hang on, Anzac but you know, just by saying why shouldn't they, are you a homophobe or something? Are you? No, I'm not none of that, mate. I'm just I'm, I, my my ancestors were Anzacs, and, and, and everybody. So were mine. So were mine, and That's I'm not okay. a, and I'm not but offended why, that they why, want to hold it. 
Yeah. Why, why they want to be in stuff that people lost their life for, that's to remember them. But who wants again, to ban it? Who wants to ban it? Well, didn't you say the, um, the Newcastle Council are not going to have the dawn service and that? I didn't say it. I think you're listening to the wrong station. I, I certainly wouldn't be uh, as divisive and bringing up that sort of rubbish because as far as I'm concerned, everybody commemorates Anzac Day. Even if you can't get along to a march because of COVID-19, you can commemorate it the way we did last year in our driveways, etc. I'm sick of the division. I really am. And for people to ring up, I don't know who he was listening to. Maybe he was listening to the other mob. But for people to ring up, and be divisive straight away, going the whole, oh, they want to ban Anzac Day, but what about the Mardi Gras? Give me a break, all right? I, I, I don't want people like that on my program. It's divisive and it's just rubbish. Absolute and utter rubbish. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11 colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. Unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Back in the day, I was a, you know, a coming at you kind of radio announcer. Alrighty, let's get into it. Round number one of 1FM Scores. Alrighty, the first question is, my name is... I beg you, we'll start it again. My God, what? Hello, I'm Marcus Paul on the radio playing <laughs> oh, the hits. Yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> That's gold, absolute gold. What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, hello, Dave. How are you, mate? The sun says... Why are you staring at that carton of orange juice, Dad? All right, why are you staring at that carton of orange juice, Dad? Dad, because it says concentrate. Oh. 21 to 9, uh, we're off to Canberra. Christina in the capital in just a moment or two. Despite criticism from social service groups and the federal opposition, the $50 a fortnight increase to job seeker will be all or nothing when it goes to Parliament today. As a senior Liberal source has told the Herald, the government will not accept any amendments or further increases to the new rate. The plan is to increase the base rate from $565.70 a fortnight to $620.80 on April the 1st. That equates to a payment of around $44 a day, an increase of just $3.60 on the current rate. While it is the first major rise in the rate since the 1980s, it is still well below the level suggested by business groups, social service organisations and economists. What the hell would they know, eh? It also falls short of the $150 a fortnight coronavirus supplement that ends on March 31 and is substantially below the $470 a week poverty line. Well, what do you make of it? Josh Frydenberg will be out selling it. He's already been on television this morning singing the virtues of this rise, which isn't a rise, it's actually a drop. And ultimately... The government is being as stingy as it's renowned for. This is the most substantial rise in the job seeker payment since 1986. Uh, and we're now going to see the job seeker payment at around 41% of the national minimum wage, back to where it was in the 2000s. Uh, so this 
is a um, substantial cost to the budget. It's a structural spend. It's around $9 billion over the forward estimates. Yeah, all right. Well, the Australian Council of Social Service, the Business Council of Australia and the Council of Small Business Associations Australia have all said the increase is simply too small. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese said dole recipients would continue to struggle. But as Christina Keneally confirmed on this program this morning, Labor is expected to vote in favour of the rise because any rise is better than nothing. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. All right, uh, 16 to 9, so Christina in the capital. We're going to catch up with her after 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, Look, we are doing an extended program today. Uh, There'll be no John Law's morning show. Uh, The reason I'll explain for you after 9 o'clock this morning. So no John Law's morning show today, and we'll go into the reasons just after the 9 o'clock news. Mary, are you there? Hello, Mary. Uh, Good morning, Marcus. Morning, Mary. Um, Morning. Regarding this um, very extensive, as Barnaby Joyce put it, we are living on a credit card. Well, isn't his pay and his regular pay rush in July on a credit card? Isn't that taxpayers' money? All their food and meals, they stay in the, the flood that um, Dutton took. Isn't that all taxpayers' money? Isn't that living on credit cards? Of course it is. Uh, but you hear politicians like Barnaby Joyce, who's about as useful as an ashtray on a motorbike, you hear politicians <laughs> like Barnaby roll out these very same stupid uh, allegations each and every time uh, the government is being criticised for being stingy. But yes, uh, of course, a lot of the money that we are spending to stimulate our economy is borrowed, although, you know, we budget for Social Security. And, look, there'll be an extra $9 billion, as they tell us, over the coming forward estimates to pay for this ever-so-slight increase. But, again, I go back to the point. Two out of every $3 we provide in Social Security, that is, the dole payment or, or New Start or Job Seeker, two out of $3 goes directly back into the economy. If you give people out-of-work money, they're not going to hoard it. They're not going to put it in their bank account. They're going to spend it quite clearly. Thanks for the call, Mary. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney-Garland. Holding up the fort as always in the newsroom, Di. How are you going? I'm well. I'm very well. Uh, busy old day for all of us oh, today. Oh, crazy busy uh, today. We're all here till midday sure. and um, it's almost like we're Robinson Crusoe. Where is everybody? <laughs> I wish I could get well, a day I'm off. not quite sure. Right? You, could, you could throw a brick through the office right now. Well, not literally, but you could throw a pelt a ball through the office and not hit anyone. Well, well it depends whether you aimed at Justin or well, not. It's not very nice. <laughs> no. Can I tell you, we yeah, had a, a, a funny like. story that's coming up in the news. So mm-hmm. uh, in Pakistan, they're going to get the police on rollerblades. Really? Mm-hmm. Because Why? Because they've, they've had, because you know, they've, the population is so huge and there's mm-hmm. quite a, a big crime rate. Right. So what they're talking about is getting the, um, getting a whole lot of police officers out on rollerblades so they can get in between the traffic and the and the people on the streets and um, okay. solve crimes. So I just think that's the funniest thing ever. 
I'd love to see them. Yeah, that'll look that's amazing. It. So, which whereabouts is this? In Pakistan. In Pakistan. Yeah. What about in Italy? Have you seen uh, the police in Italy? Have you? They, they look like all of them. They look like Versace models, <laughs> chiselled faces, just nicely, beautifully cut shirts and and suits and all the rest of it. I saw a photo floating around on on the internet uh, of you know um, police in Paris. Uh, and it looked like they were lighting up on the runway, you know, the catwalk. Really? Because oh. I, I know in New South Wales for uh, many years ago, there used to be a height restriction mm. to join the police because one of my friends at school wanted to join, but she was a little bit too not short. Anymore, not. Uh, yeah, well, no, that's right. However, I'm wondering if there's, you know, you have to provide a, um, a photograph and, mm. and special shots before you join the police in Italy and Paris. Maybe. You want to be a police officer? Wee oui, wee. Oui. We'll show us your portfolio. Or either that or people are just incredible. Incredibly good looking over there, one or the other. How, how do you go with mullets? The old iconic eighties. <laughs> not a fan. Not, not a fan. fan. No. Really? No. Apparently, there's a school in West in Sydney, uh, a very exclusive school. I think they're in the east. Uh, Waverley College. Now, Waverley College. Uh, apparently, the the principal or whoever he is has put his foot down, saying that boys that go to this private Sydney school cannot have. Business up the front and party down the back. <laughs> They're not allowed to. So, in other words, no mullets at the exclusive Waverley College. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's crazy because fashions come and go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the mullet. I wouldn't wear it, but, I mean, it probably doesn't suit me. I'm a little too old. But I mean, You'd probably look good with a mullet, just saying. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, the problem is I got that Pope's hat. Oh, okay. It so it pretty silly. See, can I say my husband mm-hmm. and one of my one of my sons yeah. both have longer hair than me at the moment. So, but are, it's not. They they're not the mullet. Mullets. They're not mullets. They're long all over. So, oh, okay. um, my son has really wild curly hair. Sure. Uh, and, and my husband's is just straight, a little bit thinning. I hope he's not listening. Uh, mm. On top, but yeah, yeah. he's he's oh, just he grows it longer. Hair. You know. I've got a pope's hat that you can land. Uh, I don't know the Westpac <laughs> chopper on these days. All right, Daisy, we'll hear you Thank in the news you. at nine. Thank you very much, Marcus Paul. In the morning. 2SM has Sydney talking. Oh my goodness, John Laws, we're the survivors. 2SM has Sydney talking. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Sam, are you there? Yeah, good morning. Morning, Sam. Um, you mentioned the uh, the mullet and brought up something funny. Uh, both my sons went to a school where grooming was uh, quite vigorously enforced really pretty much yeah on a weekly basis really Mm -hmm. um but uh, uh, the funny thing is that they're still sort of hanging out with the same group of friends a couple of years out yeah and they all they all look like they've just stepped out of the amazon now i think uh uh, after they i think the 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 fact that they get so heavily scrutinized at school Mm. when they're uh when they're cut loose um they're all most of them have got beards or something resembling beards yeah and uh and ponytails, and it's like it's amazing. They're all there's not one of them with the, the, the same sort of even remotely the same hairdo as what they were at school. Yeah, so, look, I don't like yeah. the idea of uh, look. I, I I get you know everybody needs to be in an appropriate school uniform and all the rest of it. And yeah, I mean these are kids. Why can't we just let kids be kids? If they want to have a mullet, let them have a mullet. Yeah, it's a conformity thing with the, oh. uh, a lot. Of, you'll find a lot of the Catholic schools, a lot of private schools. 
it's very much, very, very much a conformity thing, and a, yeah. uh, they they call it self a self respect thing and all that. But oh, okay. So, what are they suggesting? Yeah. People that have a mullet don't respect themselves. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah. Look, it's it's it's, it's all the the thought, the, the line of thought in there is all like that. Like, I don't mm. subscribe to it as long as, mate. I always said to myself, as long as my my sons come out of school with a good heart. Yep. At the end of the day, that's the that's the um, that's the only thing you go through life with a good heart. Well said, and, mate. Um, and who and who you hang around with is who makes you. So um, I I go by that. But I, it was just hilarious because I remember how strict they were about it. Yeah. And what ninety nine percent of them look like now, you wouldn't recognise them. Very true. All right, bud. Great call. Thanks, Sam. Have yeah, a great mate. day, bye, mate. Bye. Appreciate it. Thirteen twelve sixty nine the telephone number if you would like to have you say. Uh, we're back after nine o'clock, by the way, for the John Laws Morning Show. We'll explain why after nine. Marcus Paul in the morning. Hello, good morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to two sm dot com dot au. Breakfast. <laughs> Okay, good morning and welcome to the program. It's Marcus Paul in the morning filling in for the great man John Laws today. Uh, John won't be with us today. It's exactly one year since he lost his beloved princess. So, John taking the day off. In the meantime, we'd love you to be a part of the program. 13 12 69 is the telephone number. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. Less ads means more of your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, great to have you company. It's a Wednesday. It is February the 24th, 2021. And Facebook in Australia is set to return news content to its site after last week's hissy fit that saw many pages suddenly dumped from the platform after last-minute talks between founder Mark Zuckerberg and our treasurer Josh Frydenberg, Facebook has agreed to pay for media content on its site, although we still don't have the details of what it all means. Media outlets, as we know, have been breathlessly reporting Facebook's re-friending of Australia with the return of new sites to the platform. And yet it was only a week ago that those same media companies were all complaining about these tech giants pinching their content without paying for it. But the second Facebook switched off the content, some media outlets like The Telegraph went feral. Now, Facebook has struck a deal, and who knows, they might even agree to pay their fair, agree to pay their fair share of tax in Australia next. We can only hope, can't we? Okay, well, welfare groups have slammed the Morrison government's decision to increase the job seeker base rate by $50 a fortnight. But is anyone surprised? I don't know. I mean, there are suggestions that these people are never happy. It is the largest one-off jump in the dole in decades, and yet still some people are jumping up and down instead of claiming it as a significant win off the back of COVID. Welfare groups have called it a betrayal by the Morrison government. I don't know. It's not really an increase. And I know that, uh, you know, many John Law's listeners may think that perhaps I'm a little different in my opinion on this, but... You know, I'm a, a little more progressive, and I, I think we can afford to pay more. I mean, we've got so many people living below the poverty line at the moment. All we're going to do is increase this number. There are some 1.2 million Australians who are currently out of work. You know how many jobs are on the books? About 200,000. Even if we filled all of those tomorrow, there would still be nearly a million people 
out of work and there are just no jobs. So does that mean that these people need to live below the poverty line? I don't think so. All right, someone who's perhaps also deluded by his perceived self-importance is the now newly minted independent member of the federal parliament, Craig Kelly. The Pete Evans of the Liberal Party has quit. That's a good line. The Pete Evans of the Liberal Party has quit so he can be more like Pete Evans, I guess. What a claim to fame. A nutjob anti-vaxxer. Mr Kelly must know his days as a federal MP for Hughes are numbered. So he wants to go out in a blaze of conspiracy theory glory. Can Facebook switch off his account, please? That would be a massive service to Australians. He's virtually already guaranteed his support for the Morrison government on key votes. And they have the added backing of Bob Catter as an insurance policy. Now, Craig Kelly will feel right at home on the crossbench, nestled between Zali Stegall and Adam Bant. It's a bit of a joke. Um, I don't know. Uh, There are some suggestions that he's perhaps being courted by Barnaby Joyce and the Nationals. We'll see what happens. Meanwhile, new research has revealed how hesitant many Australians are to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, with the number of people raising concerns about the jab rising to 21% of our population. The research by the Australian National University has found the greatest level of scepticism is among younger women across the country. Look, there's undoubtedly a feeling of complacency that because we have the virus under control here, that removes the need for the vaccine. It doesn't. The extra precaution is absolutely vital. I see Victoria has now continued its renewed run of COVID-free days. That's good news, with the Andrews government confirming that a new round of freedoms will be unveiled on Friday. But for how long? Their track record on this is pretty shocking. One sniffle and the place goes into lockdown again. We can only hope that's not the case. Look, there are reports today that a Queensland woman who was killed inside a house fire in a suspected domestic violence incident had phoned police in the hours leading up to the attack. But it's claimed a patrol car never arrived in time. The woman's former partner had been the subject of an apprehended violence order. It's thought he died in the blaze as well. It's just an awful story. Look, in sport, in the NRL, Stephen Crichton is expected to re-sign with the Penrith Panthers after a breakout season last year that saw him win a call-up to the Blues' origin team. While in crickets, Australia's T20 captain Aaron Finch is under fresh pressure after another failure with the bat, this time against the Kiwis. And the third test between India and England begins later tonight, our time, with a series locked at one all. The result of the series will determine whether Australia gets to play the World Championship at Lords in June against New Zealand. So that's a little of the news that's going on. Of course, the other story that broke this morning is Tiger Woods who's been injured in quite a serious car accident, uh, not far from the Hollywood Hills. He's been hospitalised. I don't know whether you've seen the vision. It's pretty harrowing. He's probably lucky to be alive. Uh, He was taken, after being extracted from his mangled vehicle, which went off-road, he had to be freed by the jaws of life, and he was taken to hospital to undergo surgery. I mean, the whole front of the car is smashed in. It's just horrific. And you can see after he's been extracted where uh, police have lined the road with chalk and a whole other, a whole lot of other uh, paraphernalia they use to uh, mark vehicle accidents. A very expensive SUV that he was driving probably saved his life. I would imagine there'd be plenty of uh, you know, safety features on this car, but he's been hospitalised and uh, support is pouring in for 
Tiger Woods. A single car accident this morning in California. He suffered multiple leg injuries and was in surgery. So there we go. His agent says, thank you uh, for your support, but please respect Tiger's privacy. He's had a little bit of bad luck with car accidents, hasn't he? Remember not long after the the story broke of his so-called cheating ways, which they were, he was also injured in a car accident inside his gated community in California. So I don't know what the issue is. Maybe Tiger has better luck driving the fairways than he does driving the roadways, perhaps. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have your say, Marcus Paul in the morning, filling in for Lawsy. As I mentioned, uh, John is taking a day off today. Sadly, it is the one-year anniversary of the death of Caroline Laws, his princess. All right, welcome back to the program. If you want to give us a call, the open line is there for you. Uh, 13 12 69, or you can call Lawsy's number 1300 Uh, Now, with Lawsy's team away today, we don't have access to the Fortress email. So if you want to send an email to the program, mpinthemorning at 2smsupernetwork.com. mpinthemorning at 2smsupernetwork.com. You'll be able to get your details through to us that way. Regarding the job seeker, Melissa's been in touch. G'day, Marcus. I hope you're well. Where did the $60 million overestimate for the coronavirus supplement go? Surely the 60-odd million dollars that was overestimated could perhaps help increase current payments. Regards, Melissa. All right, Mel, thank you very much for that. Dino in Casino says, Marcus, thank you for your kind words regarding John. I can relate to Lawsy today. I lost my wife many years ago, and you really never, ever get over it. Well, of course you don't. Thank you for that, Dino. And Frank, g'day Marcus, so Craig Kelly has finally left the Liberal Party. Good on him, says Frank. Really? Well, maybe. Uh, I can't repeat some of the comments you've made in relation to recent allegations there, Frank, in your email, for obvious reasons. Uh, But by the way, just on the situation with the allegations of sexual assault in Parliament House, young Brittany Higgins is at this moment attending a meeting with the Australian Federal Police and the ACT Police to lodge a formal complaint, which will now be investigated. So we won't be discussing that alleged rape or the alleged accusation, etc., on the air, as it is now obviously a police matter. Uh, All right, and Dennis, the WA upcoming election. Morning, Marcus. The news poll has Mark McGowan poised to lead Labor to a stunning election victory with a 12.5% swing predicted. Looks like the Libs over there will be annihilated. All right, Dennis, thank you. If you want to have your say, 13 12 69, the telephone number. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. This is what jo- uh, Josh Frydenberg, Australian Treasurer, had to say over the very modest increase to job seeker payments announced yesterday. This is the most substantial rise in the job seeker payments since 1986. Uh, and we're now going to see the job seeker payment at around 41% of the national minimum wage, back to where it was in the 2000s. Uh, So this is a um, substantial cost to the budget. It's a structural spend. It's around $9 billion over the forward estimates. Yeah. All right. Well, I get all of that, and that'll be the spin from the Morrison government today. 
but this meagre job seeker rise is simply a political fix that'll only tighten the screws on the unemployed. I mean, the strategy behind the federal government's increase to the job seeker payment is crystal clear. Prime Minister Scott Morrison will say, and obviously Josh Frydenberg's been the first to come out this morning and say it, they'll say they're the first government in almost 30 years to increase the rate of welfare for unemployed people. Never mind, of course, that it's only by less than $3.60 a day. Damned if it keeps people in poverty. Too bad that it won't even recover lost ground since the payment was decoupled from flat wages growth back all the way back in 1997. Now, already the new figure represents a $100 fortnight cut in the rate as the coronavirus supplement of $150 is due to end on March 31. And of course, the Prime Minister and his government will consider the political issue now solved and anybody, including me, who says that, you know, perhaps dares question this low, meagre increase will be branded as ungrateful. Well, it's already starting. And that's the problem. This government and the Prime Minister in particular thinks only in the hollow terms of political problems. It seems humanity doesn't figure into the equation. Worse, maybe for a Prime Minister who thinks he knows the answer, he's never suffered the real problem. Neither he nor nor almost anyone in his government has ever had to do the threadbare, threadbare arithmetic of blunt survival. They've never had to make a decision to skip meals or medications to feed their families. Never had a single sudden expense trigger a five-year debt spiral. There have never been no back-to-back years of punishing stress, which exacts its toll not only on the mind but the body as well. Quite bluntly, it's a really poor effort for the government to give a meagre $3.90-odd rise a week when... They're ignoring the advice of not only economists, but social security uh, experts and a whole range of other people, including the opposition. It's ridiculous. Paul says, oh, OK, Paul Vestige at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuants Association. He says the Australian government has embarrassed itself going ahead with this $50 a fortnight raise in JobSeeker. More importantly, it's utterly demoralising for the unemployed, roughly, well, just under 900,000 now, including some 300,000 people over the age of 55, the largest cohort on JobSeeker. And they are the people, because of ageism, who are less likely to find a job. Paul Vestige joins us on the program. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning. It's good to have you on here. Um, I get so many emails from people aged over 50 who tell me, Marcus, I'm sick to death of being branded a dole bludger. I send out CVs. I go to appointments. You know, I'm involved in all of these government-organised job seeker programs. I go and see these agencies that have been set up. And I've been told, quite bluntly to my face, you're too old. You're too old. I've got nothing for you. That's ridiculous, considering these people, some 300,000 of them, make up the largest cohort on JobSeeker. They're hardly dole bludgers. No, they're not. Um, <clears throat> anybody that calls anybody that is unemployed a dole bludger without knowing the real facts, of course, is, uh, is doing uh, uh, society a big disservice. Um, but particularly for people over 55 or over 50 or over 45 who ca- cannot get jobs because 
they are deemed too old, um, it's, it's just appalling that that happened. And what is even more appalling is that, uh, that they are paid an unemployment benefit, which is so low that uh, as soon as they can access their super, they do so and usually exhaust their super by the time they reach pension age. And that's the problem. Uh, that is absolutely the problem because then, of course, the government needs to pay out more in pensions. It is, and as we know, two out of every three dollars that goes to welfare recipients is recycled back into our economy. Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if you're poor, you, you tend to spend everything you get in, in, uh, in the way of income. Yes. And that stimulates the, the, uh, the economy. It is, uh, it is simply bad maths and bad, bad economics. Mm. to starve people, and, you know, it's a sizable group. It's, uh, it's, it's almost a million people that are being starved. Um, uh, it, it's bad for them, obviously. It's bad for the economy. It's bad all around. A $50 job seeker increase means singles who are now over 40% below the poverty line will be 35% below the poverty line. Couples who are currently 31% below the poverty line will be 24% below the poverty line. Technically, it is an improvement. Morally, though, it's a disgrace. Absolutely. Um, you know, if you are going to pay somebody to, uh, to survive, you at least have to pull them up to the level... Uh, where, where poverty ends, you know, and where they have some sort of prospect that if they, they put in uh, put in the effort and, and put in the time to find jobs that uh, that they will improve the situation. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, it's simply not possible to to even um, clothe yourself for for a formal job interview, and in many cases, people don't have the money for for public transport to get to a job interview. Um, it's, uh, it, it's such a dire situation for so many people. It's, uh, it's inexplicable that it happens in Australia today. Well, I mean, real wages haven't grown, as we know, for a number of years. There's been really... I mean, uh, the Treasurer can say whatever he likes, and, and that's what they'll be out spruiking, saying, you know, it's the first government to, within, you know, two or three decades to actually increase the pension. Well, that may well be the case, but it's still well below the poverty line. In fact, if you go back, I don't know, more than a decade ago, let's go back 13 years ago, Treasury head Ken Henry called for a $50 increase all those years ago. And it wasn't a fortnightly increase, but a weekly one that he wanted. Yeah, absolutely. And during that, uh, that time, you know, inflation um, would, have, would have increased that amount that he called for uh, even more. So to now basically give half, of what was called for by a very respected um, economist yeah. um, 13 years ago, it's, it's just laughable. And, and that's why we say that um, uh, the government, uh, in, in giving this increase, has embarrassed itself. Uh, you, it's, it's just laughable what they've done. All right, Paul. Good to have you on the program and thank you for your time. Thank you. Paul Vestige at Combined Pensioners and Superannuants Association. He is their CEO, and obviously uh, he's very disappointed in this. Well, it's a, it's a pathetic increase. It really is. I mean, 50 bucks a fortnight. What do you make of it? If you want to have your say, 13, 12, 69, that's the telephone number. Getting some breaking news in as well that a doctor, I'll chase up some details. We'll get that out there, Scruff. We've got a doctor who's apparently in a whole heap of trouble for over um, overdosing, I think that's the way of putting it, a COVID-19 
injection. So we'll just get some more detail on that, but it's breaking news. We've got a doctor in trouble for um, giving an overdose of the COVID-19 vaccination. More details on that soon. It's Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Emails. Uh, the Fortress email is not working. Well, it's working, but we can't access them today. So please send your emails. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. 2SM Sydney Traffic. North Sydney Mount Street on ramp to Warringah Freeway, Cutbroker down southbound direction. Greenacre Stacey Street, Hume Highway, truck break down southbound lane two. And the Hume Highway approaching Baronia Road, a Cutbroker down westbound in that left-hand lane there at Greenacre. Also in an awkward spot there this morning, Foxtel's kicking off the footy season with an amazing offer. Get live sport in 4K, Ultra HD, drama and Netflix all in one place. Want to get Foxtel? Search Foxtel or call 131787. That's the latest traffic on the John Laws Morning If a new website is on your radar... You need to look no further than List Designs. Whatever size is your organisation, List Designs are the website experts. And because they work from home, with List Designs there are no expensive premises, so you don't pay for any fancy overheads. Contact Lisa at List Designs. That's L-I-S-D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot com dot A-U. Or you can phone List Designs on 0422 356 850. here. Summer is here, and that means two things. Our big quicks are steaming in on the pitch, and your car's aircon needs to be on top of its mark. Your off stump will be blown away by the aircon service at your local Repco Authorised Service Centre. The fully qualified mechanics will keep you cool all year with a comprehensive service on your car's aircon system, no matter what you drive. Book online today at repcoservice.com. Lounges custom-made right here in Sydney. Welcome to Chili Pip, Sydney's favourite lounge manufacturer. Individually designed to suit your needs and reflect your lifestyle, you can choose from a wide selection of Chili Pip styles available in fabric or leather, made for you the way you want. Sit back, unwind and relax. Home is where your comfy new Chili Pip lounge is. Go to Chili Pip, that's C-H-I-L-L-I-P-I-P dot com dot A-U or telephone 1300 My family's been farming this land for generations and hopefully will for many more to come. Things aren't as easy to do on the farm as they once were and we hear of too many injuries, especially to older farmers. If you've been in the game as long as me, there are things you can do to make work easier and safer. The Great Idea Bank is a guide produced by older farmers for older farmers with practical tips that can help whether you think you're old or not. For copies, visit farmsafe.org.au. Do you suffer from mild arthritis, osteo and other aches and pains? With its natural organic ingredients, Stiff Sore and Sorry Pain Relief Gel might assist you. Always read the label, use only as directed, and if symptoms persist, see your healthcare professional. Look for Stiff Sore and Sorry Pain Relief Gel at pharmacies and health food stores everywhere. To find the location of your nearest Stiff Sore and Sorry stockers, go to loveoilcollection.com.au. Or phone Ray on 040-66-71-359. Across Australia, the John Laws Morning Show. Call now, 1-300-JOHN-LAWS. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. The University of Sydney has been accused of reaching new levels of wokeness by changing its logo to an 11-colour progress flag to coincide with the start of Mardi Gras. The move has led to calls for the university to focus on its core functions with accusations the initiative was actually promoting division. What a load of rot. Unscripted, genuine, 
Sometimes silly. Back in the day, I was a, you know, a coming at you kind of radio announcer. Alrighty, let's get into it. Round number one of 1FM Scores. Alrighty, the first question is, my name is... I beg you, we'll start it again. My God, what? Hello, I'm Marcus Paul on the radio playing <laughs> oh, the hits. Yes, uh, with that big uh, fake voice going on there. <laughs> That's gold, absolute gold. What's your name? Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, give me a call. 13 12 69 as we look after things for Lawsy today. Hello, Sandra. Good morning, Marcus. Uh, first of all, please don't think I'm migrant bashing. As soon as you open your mouth, oh my God, she's a, a bigot. I've just come back to the northern beaches after 11 years, and it's a retiree's haven here at DY. Yes. Uh, and the last two mornings, well, the morning, 10 o'clock, I go down to the to the pool to do my usual workout, you know, my, you know, pretend water aerobics thing. The sure. pool is the pool is full of these. I don't know what nationality they are. But they're young guys, about 24, and they're all in the pool. First of all, you know they're not Australians because they'd be in the surf. But that's okay. Um, and then so about 10 o'clock, then I go down again on the Monday at 2 o'clock, and there are all these other guys again. Question to you, Marcus, why aren't they working? Well, that is a good question. Uh, are they at university age, perhaps? Are they? No, 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 I don't know what they are. But my girlfriend up mm-hmm. in the country, she's off the land, yeah. and she rang me on Sunday. They're screaming, they're harvesting, they're doing the walnuts, they're doing the grapes. Yes, these people come from overseas, but yeah. why the hell are they in Sydney? Why aren't they working? Well, that's why aren't right. they sending them out? True. Look, if anybody uh, would be uh, appropriate to undertake all this work that's required in country areas and regional areas, fruit picking and the like, you'd think it would be these fit young blokes who... Uh, look, everybody's entitled to go to the beach, and who knows? Look, we, we don't know. Perhaps you never know. They may be tradies and waiting for another job to start. There could be a whole range no, of reasons. They're not, they're not tradies. No. Okay. All right. Well, look. Ultimately, it's as I mentioned this morning. It's very difficult to expect people in their, you know, their fifties plus to head to regional Australia and undertake fruit picking jobs. It's just, you know, it's unrealistic. But you're right, absolutely, Sandra. Uh, you know, if we have young Australians, whether they've recently come to our country or grown up here, if they're in their early 20s, there is no excuse for them not to be working. Absolutely not, particularly when there's rotting fruit and the like in regional areas. Thank you, Sandra. I appreciate it. Uh, Mary, are you there, Mary? Oh, Marcus, thank you very much for taking my call. Pleasure. And I'm I'm glad you're there till 12 o'clock. Thank you. (laughs) You poor thing. Anyway, look... uh, this this business about handing out money, I remember in the Menzies era that we used to go to the post office to get the little amount of money, child endowment. That's right, now, yeah. And I can't believe now why people are complaining. Maybe they need more money to play the poker machine. Well... Possibly some of them do, but look, I, I, I probably will disagree with you, Mary. The, the, yes. the thing is, social security is meant to support people while they're looking for work. There are a lot of genuine Australians out yes. there who, you know, particularly yes. older people. Uh, again, I, that's why I think yes. it should be a tiered system, and it should go via people's ages. For instance, if you're over forty to fifty years of age. Uh, well, then you should, re- and you have responsibilities like children, etc. Then you should receive more money. I know there are other benefits available, but at the end of the day, 
people who can work, young people in particular, should be working. And I know the government's put in some safeguards in this new uh, proposed legislation that will make uh, people have to check in and ensure that they're going to job interviews, etc. The problem is a lot of people over the age of 40 and into their 50s uh, yes. Mary, what they do is they go along yes. to these so-called agencies and then they're simply told, well, I'm sorry, you're too old, I have nothing for you. What about That's these right. people? But, and just another thing, I'm, I'm sorry, can I just start to say another thing? Yes, please. That there's never been a generation where the, the children take precedence over, over the parents. Never a generation. The fuss that's made with children now... Mm. There's no fuss for the parents or as for the grandparents, they're invisible. There's so much uh, talk about the young people, the young people, they're taking precedence. I remember when my aunties used to come and visit, we were never allowed in the lounge room. And that's, that's you know, like, do you, you know what I mean? Never a generation where they have taken so much precedence. Well, yes, some might agree with you. Others will disagree. But uh, look, maybe yeah. uh, that's because uh, of the way the media is, is shaped these days and you tend to hear a lot more about younger people and their concerns and their issues. I don't... Look, I want to steer away from a culture war when it comes to things yeah. like uh, unemployment benefits. If you, uh, yeah. I think it's simple. If you're young enough, you should be out there bloody well working. If you That's... have already worked, contributed to paying taxes and all the rest of it, you find yourself unemployed through no fault of your own because of COVID or retrenchment. That's right. Then that should be taken into consideration. And older people who unfortunately are represented highly in the underemployment statistics, then they should receive some preferential treatment when it comes to any increase in the job seeker payment. Great call. Thank you, Mary. Dennis, are you there, mate? Oh, yes. Look, um, I'm, I'm all for uh, those in need to get an increase. Or, uh, I put lives in front of money. Yeah. Now, what, what I'm calling about is it was announced the other day that Australia is still keeping its AAA credit rating. Yeah, I and saw I, that. Yeah, I saw yeah, yeah. I'm amazed. I remember when Wayne Swan, mm. he had a government debt of $330 billion, yep. and through his efforts of the stimulus package and all that, and uh, he got the AAA credit rating and everybody bagged him. Well, he, he, he got, yeah. He got, uh, now the debt's $880 As Soon it's going to be $1 trillion. Mm. Now, I'll just say this quickly. The US billion is $100 million. Our billion is $1,000 million. So we've got a debt of $880 billion, soon to hit a trillion. Yep. How do we get a triple-A credit rating? Well, uh, because we're still seen as a good place to invest and we're, we're still seen mm. as a country that can afford, even though it's going to take a long time, you know, a country mm. that can afford to service this debt, and that's what it comes down to. But in relation to Wayne Swan, you're absolutely 100%. I wish somebody like Wayne Swan was in charge of our economy right now. Uh, the bloke was pillied and, you know, as a part of the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd era, uh, un unfairly, I think, unfairly, I think, history will show that Wayne Swan was probably, along with Peter Costello, one of the best treasurers that we've ever had. I mean, he navigated Australia through a global financial crisis. I don't know whether Josh Frydenberg could have done this same thing. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Marcus Paul in the morning for John Laws. 2SM, 12.69am, 2SM Digital, and online at 2SMSupernetwork.com.
unscripted, genuine, and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, I got some details on this alleged overdose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Two elderly Queensland residents are being monitored after they received an overdose of the vaccine at an aged care facility in Brisbane. The 88-year-old man and 94-year-old woman are believed to have been given four times the correct amount of the vaccine. Jeez, four times? This happened on Tuesday at the Holy Spirit Nursing Home at Castledine. The doctor responsible for administering the vaccines has been stood down. Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt confirmed just a short while ago that a doctor gave an incorrect dose to two patients yesterday. Mr Hunt added a nurse on the scene identified the error after the doses were administered consecutively. In relation to the individual doctor, we'll leave that to the investigators as to whether or not they either did not understand or did not complete, but it was and is a serious breach in terms of following protocol, according to the Federal Health Minister. Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly added the pair is showing no signs of an adverse reaction. Well, that is good. Mr Kelly, or Dr Kelly, said we've checked again on the patient welfare this morning and they're both doing fine. But, of course, both residents will be closely monitored. Circumstances of the error will be reviewed and a report will be filed. It is a concern. Absolutely, it is a concern. 13 12 69, if you would like to have you say, Marcus Paul in the morning for Lawsy. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. Unions, I see, are joining forces to call for a royal commission into the treatment of fruit pickers and workers in the horticultural sector. Uh, It's the latest in a long line of reports that's found people working in the industry for as little as $3 an hour. And this is amid horrific stories of exploitation, poor sanitary conditions and abuse. The Australian Workers' Union's Daniel Walton says it's become an entrenched part of the supply chain and action is long overdue. There you go. What do you make of that? 13, 12, 69. Meanwhile, new research has found more Australians are now investing in cryptocurrencies. You know, Bitcoin and the like. They're investing apparently more in Bitcoin than precious metals, including gold and silver. There's been a survey done of more than 2,000 Australians and it's found 12.1% of investors are holding gold and silver, whereas 12.6% now have investments in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And despite reaching record highs recently, most investors, just over 50%, say they're not looking to sell their Bitcoin anytime soon. You have to wonder, do they know, do they know something we don't? Um, I don't know. Would you invest your money in Bitcoin? Surely Bitcoin is nowhere near as effective as investing in bricks and mortar, though, I would have thought. Okay, are you there, Steve? Yes, I am, Marcus. Um, Hi, mate. Thanks for taking my my call. I I just put the radio on before and I heard not much, but just a little bit of your comment on Wayne Swan. And I'm totally on the same page as you, mate. Um, Congratulations, because um, they didn't deserve what they they got. I don't think. I think they really hounded them. And I think he was uh, 
it was they they were doing a good job at that time. A lot of people disagree, but you got the. I don't know, the guts to say things. and you. Well, um, I just don't follow the, uh, I'm sorry, I don't follow the um, mainstream media stroke Murdoch press narrat- narrative, which basically is, you know, uh, damn the consequences, just put as much yeah. crap as you can on Labor <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Rudd, Gillard, Rudd. I mean, yes, it was dysfunctional in a number of ways, but uh, yeah. I'm going to be, you know, <clears throat> it's got, you've got to be fair in your analysis. And well, you're balanced. Your views are balanced, and that's what I like. It's not like one-sided. Well, <laughs> some would argue differently. Some would call me a lefty, etc. Look, it doesn't matter. Not that I, not that I care. I am progressive in my thoughts, and you know, some people say that I'm a, you know, a little bit of a, uh, a bleeding heart on things like refugees and and like, uh, you know, on issues for equality and social housing and and higher unemployment rates and all the rest of it. That I can't help that. That's just me. I don't follow well, a narrative, and and that's it. Well, that's why you're doing such a good job. Oh, well, very kind of you, mate. Thank you, and I appreciate okay, your call. I'll continue listening. Thanks very much. Thank you. I appreciate oh, it. Oh. Johnny, are you there? Yeah. Hi, John. What's on your mind, mate? Okay, Marcus. Yes. Myself, on the 2nd of April, I had a problem with my leg. Right. Um, my left foot. Right. And I went to Liverpool Hospital, and they amputated in my, one of my uh, toes. Wow, that's, uh, that's no good. Anyway, after that, um, I went on dialysis. Dialysis, yes. Dialysis at Liverpool Hospital. Mm-hmm. I do dialysis three days a week. I okay. went to Liverpool Centrelink. I don't qualify for no payments. Because what? I have been working and I was earning more than $1,000 a week. Yeah, but you're no longer, a- hang on, you're no longer working. That's right. Okay, because you've had a toe amputated, yes. And how long do they say you need to not be working? And uh, I think there is a bit of a time before you're allowed to access Social Security payments. Am I right? Did they say how long it would take? Six months. Six Six months? months. Mm. Yes. Six months, my toe will be okay. And on dialysis, it's uh, forever until I I leave. Yeah, no. Three days a week. What I'm saying to you, Johnny... When you went to Centrelink, uh, what uh, what did you apply for? Uh, I applied for a job seeker, right? Job keeper, yep, and uh, a pension. So I don't qualify for nothing. Now, did you do, did this injury occur at work? Yes, I was whilst I was doing it work. Right. I was doing because I'm a subby, right? I pay my own workers' comp, right? Yes, and because I'm a, I uh, I courier. So there's uh, the workers' comp say, sorry, no, 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 a left uh, uh, amputation is only your fault because, you know, you neglected these things. Okay, fine. Marcus Paul in the morning, filling in for John Laws. I thank Marcus. He's a very good broadcaster, full stop. We love this industry. We love what we're doing. Marcus wouldn't mind doing a double at all. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call 13 12 69. All right, welcome back. The second hour of the John Laws Morning Show, and you might have caught in your news bulletin there some breaking news in relation to Linda Reynolds. Linda, of course, is the Defence Minister. She was in the Senate yesterday during question time. I thought looking a little worse for wear, maybe the pressure is starting to get to her. Uh, They say that she's been hospitalised. So... I don't know why they say it's apparently a pre-existing condition. 
But Linda Reynolds will not be appearing today as she was scheduled to at the National Press Club in Canberra. And in light of that, uh, the event at the Press Club where Miss Reynolds, who obviously would have faced extreme scrutiny over her handling of the alleged rape in her office a couple of years ago, well, she's withdrawn from that address. Uh, Maurice Payne is acting now uh, as Foreign Minister. She was asked to take her place but declined, so there'll be no uh, press club event today. 13, 12, 69. We'll get some more details on that Linda Reynolds story for you soon, but the uh, minister has been taken to hospital. But my understanding is, from what, we, or what we've been told, it's a pre-existing situation. I'm not quite sure. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have you say. Uh, on Bitcoin, Graham has sent me an email, MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. Graham says, Marcus, you can buy Bitcoin, but you can't cash out. All you can do is spend your Bitcoin in places that accept it. Also, two weeks ago, one Bitcoin was supposed to be worth 24 grand. Then Elon Musk poured in $1.5 billion of investment and one Bitcoin shot up to $48 billion. What? No, really? I don't know, I'd be a little careful with all that stuff, this cryptocurrency stuff. Desmond is also on the email. Marcus, I tore all of my toes off my left foot on a motorbike wearing Rossi boots. Six months later, I was shearing. That fella is looking for a meal ticket. Well, I don't know, Desmond, but look, at the end of the day, um, it's a little silly to be at a place of work where quite clearly you require protective clothing, you're not wearing a boot. No wonder he's not covered by workers' compensation. I mean, they would have quite clearly just laughed at the bloke. With respect, uh, you can't apply for any compensation through misadventure. I mean, I feel desperately sorry for the man, of course I do. But if you cut a toe off, you've had a toe that's been amputated because of a misadventure at work, well, then obviously you're not covered. Pauline, are you there? I am. Good morning. Good morning, Pauline. What's on your mind? Well, I've been listening to John Laws for many, many years, and I've enjoyed every time I listen to him. But And I think you're doing okay, but in all those years, I would never, ever know what side of politics John Laws is on. Yeah. But I think you're very much to the left, and I think that you should just because it doesn't make for pleasant listening for you just to rubbish one side of politics. But I'm only hang on, I'm only not rubbishing one side of politics. What I'm doing is holding to account those who have power in Australia, and at the moment it's the Liberal National Party. And um, what are you suggesting just because uh, they belong to one side of so called side, the right, if you want to use labels, are you suggesting that you know they're not fair game? No, I'm not saying that at all, but I think in the big scheme of things, I think our government with this pandemic, and I don't really want to talk about politics with you, but I think we're really the lucky country. And I think you just need Well, not to if learn. you're unemployed, Pauline, we're not the lucky country, because I can tell you on a, on a global scale, our unemployment benefits are pathetic. 
Maybe so, but you know what? There's well, lots and lots of jobs out there. No, there's, there's not, Pauline. See, this is, the, this is the problem, Pauline. There are not lots and lots of jobs out there. You're just a little bit aggressive. Why can't I have my opinion without you jumping on me? Because your because opinion is incorrect and I base my opinion on facts. The facts are... Well, it doesn't matter if my what? opinion is incorrect or not. What? It's still my opinion. Yes, and, you, and you've shared it and you've been everything. challenged. No, and you've been challenged on it. And like a lot of people who get challenged on their opinion, when you throw facts at them, you throw all the toys out of the cot and spit the dummy. And that's a problem, Pauline. See, the problem with you and a lot of people is you've only really ever listened to 2GB or followed Alan Jones or Sky or whatever, and for years all you've been fed is bullshit. Complete and utter rubbish that supports Scott Morrison and the Liberal National Parties, whether it's in New South Wales or at a federal level. We are not travelling as well as what, say, a Josh Frydenberg or somebody will tell you economically. Economically, and in a whole range of indicators, if you care to listen and care to look at the facts, we are lagging behind most other developed nations. We are not the lucky country anymore, unfortunately, Pauline. And I'm sorry if my politics upsets you. Maybe you can just tune out for the day. But I'm sorry I will call out corruption or call out blatant taxpayer-wasted money where and where, you know, when and where I see fit. And that's how I broadcast my program. If you don't like it, well, you can turn off or go somewhere else. John, good morning. How are you? John, are you there? Yeah, yes, I'm here, Marcus. Hello, John. Thanks for taking Oh, that phone's not the best. We'll try and persevere for a moment. So, John, go ahead. Yeah, I'm listening to your program, and uh, our people say, you know, there's no jobs out there. Mm-hmm. I'm a 70-year-old, yep. and I retired four years ago, yep. and I basically am working full-time because I get employers ringing me. Good. That's good, want, John. want me to come to work. Good. Yep. And I think the half the problem is that a lot of them, a lot of younger ones in particular, in rural areas, just don't want to work. Well, that's true. Have a, that's true. Well, that's a bit, bit generalised, but, yeah, a lot of them, maybe a few, not everybody... Well, when there's, you see jobs advertised everywhere for people, you know, you can walk past a shop front and there's jobs advertised in the window person wanted. Yes. So you pick up a newspaper, there's jobs advertised. Yep. And yet there's so many people saying they can't find work. Well, I don't know where they're looking, but like I say, I don't have to. I don't, I'm retired or supposed to be. Yeah. I'm working because employers can't get people. All right, well, I mean, that's your experience, and that's great. I mean, of course, there are uh, jobs out there, and, um, I mean, the latest statistics shows that there are under, well, just under 200,000 jobs available in Australia, but the unemployment figure still sits just shy of a million. Uh, Even if we filled all of those positions tomorrow, there'd still be quite a few people left unemployed, a lot of them through no fault of their own. My argument simply is that we can't expect people on social security benefits to live below the poverty line. It's just not fair. You've got to remember as well that two out of every three dollars in social security that's given to unemployed people is recycled back through our economy. So effectively, it's what we call a stimulus via an unemployment benefit. All right. Thank you, mate. Appreciate the call. I'm sorry about the uh, the dodginess of that line there. It's not the best. 13, 12, 69, if you would like to have you say, let's go to Canberra. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles.
Michaels. The latest from the capital. Canberra. With Christina Rosengren. <laughs> ah, here we go, Lona. Your politics. Pauline was right, Marcus. You are a lefty. Again, with the labels. If, if you want to tag me as being a lefty for calling out corruption and waste of taxpayer dollars and asking for a fairer go for Australians, then I'm happy to wear that tag, even though it's a ridiculous tag. It's, it's just a tag that's been invented by, I don't know, those that wish to be divisive. Christina Rosengren is our reporter in Canberra. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Marcus. You're a lefty too. <laughs> Well, there's those labels again that you said that you didn't want to use. I hate them. I, I Just an email come through. That's okay. Uh, all right, let's have a look at a couple of things. Facebook is restoring news content on its platform after the government agreed to make amendments to its media bargaining code. Yes, yeah, so Treasurer Josh Frydenberg made an announcement yesterday. He says the government's making further amendments to this code as a sort of peace settlement with social media giant Facebook. And because of this agreement, Facebook is walking back its news block, and the government's also walking back its Facebook advertising ban as well. So they're lowering their guns. Uh, as a result of these discussions, the government's promised that if Facebook can demonstrate it's signed enough deals with media outlets to pay them for their content, that it will not apply this media code to its platform. So largely, Facebook's main aim here is to avoid that arbitration that's built into the code, which yeah. would mean it'd be forced to negotiate on any pay deals. But Facebook does say it reserves the right to take Australian news content down again in the future if the code is applied to them. So uh, there is still that threat lingering on the horizon. But as a result, the social media giant has begun striking deals with media companies. The first one has been with Seven West Media, and it's advanced negotiating deals with a number of other companies as well. Mm. So that means both like Google and Facebook are now signing deals, uh, which will mean that the media code legislation will pass Parliament without any real opposition from big tech, and the government will certainly chalk this up to a big win. All right. Nationals MP Barnaby Joyce claims Craig Kelly's defection from the Liberals gives the backbench more power. Yeah, am I right in perhaps thinking that Barnaby may be courting Craig Kelly? Yes, that's correct. They have had some discussions. The uh, Nationals MP Barnaby Joyce, he does want uh, a Liberal or former Liberal MP Craig Kelly to join the Nationals. And so they've had that discussion, but uh, Mr Joyce says he's leaving that up to Mr Kelly. Um, but, of course, you know, uh, with uh, Craig Kelly making this announcement yesterday, he's now moved to the crossbench. He is an independent at the moment. There was a bit of a surprise announcement in the Coalition Party room meeting yesterday, and his reason for leaving is so can speak his mind, basically. You know, as we know, well, Mr Kelly's been publishing some misinformation online, and the Prime Minister and other Coalition members have been very critical of that but by becoming an independent, he now has free reign. This government, this move, sorry, leaves the government with a majority of 76 MPs still out of 151 seats in the House of Representatives. Yeah. But if you take into account the Speaker, then the coalition still just has 75 votes on the floor. Uh, that means it's wor lost its working majority, and it will need the support of Mr Kelly or one other crossbencher to pass legislation. So Nationals MP Barnaby Joyce is making this case that the backbench now has a bit more power to speak out and the government needs to be a bit more mindful heading into the election, according to Mr Joyce. Look, I see yesterday uh, Chris Bowen uh, brought the House down, if you like, with a, uh, a real stinging attack on both Craig Kelly and the Prime Minister. I might play a little bit of that audio. Uh, here we go. This is Chris... Uh, this is... Chris Bowen, in response to Craig Kelly's announcement yesterday. Today the member for Hughes has done what the Prime Minister didn't have the courage to do and sacked himself from the Liberal Party. 
Let us never forget that when a good local member like Jane Prentice was under challenge for her pre-selection, this Prime Minister sat on his hands. But when the member for Hughes was under challenge, it was all hands on deck. When the member for Hughes was engaging in Nazi slurs on the Premier of Victoria, the Prime Minister was silent. When the member for Hughes was insulting the Cambodian community, comparing the World Economic Forum to Pol Pot's genocide, the Prime Minister was silent. When the member for Hughes was accusing our hard-working scientists at the Bureau of Meteorology of doctoring temperatures, the Prime Minister was silent. When the member for Hughes was accusing the Chief Medical Officer and the TGA of crimes against humanity, did the Prime Minister defend them? No, he was silent. The Prime Minister has ignored the member for Hughes until pressure from this side of politics made him recant. There we go. Uh, so a very powerful and fiery speech. Uh, many are saying they need more of that, perhaps, Christina. Uh, it was, uh, well, something we haven't seen from Labor for a while, I think. Yes, they certainly have gotten a bit of their fire back, I think. All right, welfare groups and economists have criticised the government's increase to the base rate of job seeker. Plenty of people online and on the open line wanting to have their say on this. It's very controversial. Some, obviously, social security uh, advocates say it's nowhere near enough. Labor will support it, though, of course, because it is an increase. Well, yes, that's correct. So the government uh, is pretty firm that it won't be making any changes to this bill to increase the payments. So by uh, by the factor, Labor will have to support it in order just to sort of get any sort of an increase through. So that is what the government uh, confirmed yesterday, that it will be a $50 a fortnight increase. That means recipients will receive around $43.50 a day, and that's up from $40. And the government, or the Social Services Minister, Anne Rustin, has said mm-hmm. this strikes the right balance between supporting welfare recipients and creating an incentive for people to find work. Now, with this job seeker announcement, the government's also tightening the mutual obligation requirements, which are the things that a recipient has to do or demonstrate that they're doing in order to receive the payment, and that includes things like applying for jobs and accepting them when they are offered. But the welfare groups, along with arguing that the increase isn't enough to afford basic necessities, they point out that you know recipients also won't be able to afford new clothes or a new haircut or for life for when they go to interviews in order to get a job. So it's uh, well, they're arguing it's going to have an impact both on quality of life and also the ability to secure employment. We've also heard from leading economists that uh, a higher increase would have not only improved quality of life but also been a great macroeconomic benefit because, as we know, yeah. those with little money stimulate the economy by spending on necessities as opposed to those who have higher disposable income and they save uh, that money. So there's been quite a bit of concern about this announcement yesterday and and its impact on recipients. All right, Christina, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, We'll look forward to hearing your reports today across the network. Um, Christina Rosengren, thank you. Thank you. Christina in the capital, Marcus Paul in the morning filling in for the John Laws Morning Show. My number 13, 1269. Well, just updating you on the breaking news for, uh, in relation to Defence Minister Linda Reynolds. The under-fire minister has been admitted to hospital and will take medical leave after a week of pressure over her handling of an alleged rape in her office. This follows advice from her cardiologist relating to a pre-existing medical condition. A statement issued this morning says, The statement says the minister will take a period of medical leave. Now, we know Senator Reynolds has been under pressure 
after former staffer Brittany Higgins went public last week with allegations she was raped by a colleague in the Minister's office back in March 2019. The Minister has faced repeated questions from political opponents and journalists over what she knew about the incident and when... Now, yesterday, Senator Reynolds gave conflicting accounts to Parliament about meetings with police over Miss Higgins' allegations, and last week she broke down in tears during question time. Since Brittany Higgins accused a colleague of rape, two more women have come forward with accusations about the same man. Now, it's deeply disturbing. More women are claiming sexual assault by staffer Brittany Higgins' accused. Now, the minister was due to speak at the National Press Club today, Cabinet colleague Greg Hunt told reporters she was desperate to appear. Really? I would be gently I would gently counsel anyone who might reflect other than on somebody's medical condition, said Mr. Hunt. Prime Minister Scott Morrison this morning called Senator Reynolds to express his concern and sympathy and to wish her a quick recovery. I wonder whether the Prime Minister's done the same to Brittany Higgins. Foreign Affairs Minister Maurice Payne will be acting Defence Minister until Senator Reynolds returns from leave. Now, as of last night, Ms Reynolds was due to give her National Press Club speech, which was cleared by the Defence Department and sent to journalists. Now, the Senator has apologised to Ms Higgins for her handling of the rape complaint, which has led to a number of reviews of the culture and processes of Parliament. I don't want to say too much about this. Rather, uh, I do wish the Senator all the best for her ill health. I hope she recovers because, tell you what, she's got a stack more questions she needs to answer. Oh. Hello, Rob. Are you there, mate? Yeah, mate. What's yeah, on your I mind, Rob? To... You there? Yes. I just wanted to make a comment about you were, you were lauding Craig, um, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Chris Bowen. Yes. Chris Bowen. Yes. I mean, just the comments, what, that, that the other bloke offended the Cambodians because he compared someone else to Pol Pot? You think Pol Pot is a, is a national treasure and a hero in Cambodia? Are you serious? I didn't say that. That was... No, uh, no, no, but, but you played and said, oh, yeah. look, Craig Kelly's given it to them. Oh, God, sorry, Chris Bowen. Yeah. You know who Chris Bowen is? He's a clown. Well, in he your opinion, he's... In a... Well, in your opinion, he's a clown, Rob. Mate, look... In, in your the public's opinion, opinion. Have, a look, just have just go over some of Chris Bowen's great statements and what and look at Chris. He's an embarrassment to the Labor Party. I used to like the Labor Party All right. until people like Chris Bowen, you know, and and Bill Shorten, and now Albo, Albo. I mean, I love Albo. Great bloke, great bloke. He's never going to be the leader, and they can't use Tanya. You know, they can't use Tanya because of her husband, the Sun Herald, the Australian. They've all reported. Of his, of his connection with drugs. He was, he's a convicted heroin importer, what a, a trafficker, whatever. You know? So I don't think the Labor Party, you know, are in a good place at the moment. All right. You feel better? And it doesn't help. And it doesn't help. Look, um, we all know, you know, um, people are probably getting bored at the moment because there's, you know, and they're, and they're looking at, you know, as we know, you know, we look for someone to blame for what's happening. I think, the, you know, look, I'm not a... I'm not a liberal lover either, um, but, you know, I think Morrison is keeping this country together, if one thing. I mean, well, he's, he's a, like they said, he's, the, he's a popular PM, but the Labor Party aren't that, um, uh, they're, they're sort of near even, um, you know, in preferences. Well, 50-50. But when it comes down yes. to the, ba- when it comes to the vote, you know the people, you know the people. And, you know, the people, you know, why would they throw it all 
back to Labor after what, you know, Short and, and those. And, and we know got, what they want to do. If you've got an do. hour or so, I can tell you why they should. And then, and, and you know what will happen on, when they do. Hang on. Well, do you want to know why they should? Or? Well, uh, yeah, please. Well, because Labor are better economic managers. We had nowhere. Are you kidding? We had nowhere near the debt that we have right now under this mob. Um, and, and Labor yeah, led that's us through the, the Labor. Oh, rubbish! We were we were escalating into debt like no one's business well before COVID nineteen, mate. Come on. Hang on, we were escalating in debt. That was because we pulled it back after. Yeah, but you know, I mean, honestly, what. I'm, I'm in my 50s, and I'm not a great supporter of politics, but I watch this all the time. Labor get in. You watch it. Uh, what do you watch it on? Fine. Hang on. What do you watch it on, Rob? On Sky or mainstream news? Or what do you watch it on? Do you read The Telegraph? Do you listen Mate, to I Alan Jones? I watch the loony. I, I listen to the ABC's crap. Mm. And then here, here's their version, and I just and, and I have to shake my head and go elsewhere. I check SBS; mm. they're pretty much the same. Then you have the mainstream, which are which are Murdoch, you know, and they love. Well, you why know, don't you try some independent uh, thought, like Michael West Media and others? Have you ever heard of them? No, Michael West Media. No. Yes, well, you should uh, because it might open your eyes a little. Hello, Brendan. Are you there? Yeah. Hang on. All right, I've got all day, Brendan. I'll come back to you. Uh, Susan, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Lovely to hear you on the air. You should be. You should have this time slot permanently. No, closed. no, no. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day. But uh, right now, um, I just want to talk to you, Susan. What do you? What? What's on your mind? Oh, I just like to. Uh, here we go with the, that word again. The reviews thing. You know, mm-hmm. everything's in reviews. You know. Um, you know this sexual assault. You know, uh, multiplied by four, it's in review. Just throw an alleged in there for me, please. Alleged sexual assault. I need to put alleged in there. I'm sorry. I need to put alleged. Alleged multiplied by four, which is uh, sort of a little bit more, uh, Not it's not quite slightly alleged. Well, I mean, look, they need to be tested in a court of law, and that's why I want to be very careful with what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, there's obviously something that's going on, and I I don't think it's necessarily just an LNP issue. I think it's it's right across the board in Canberra. We've had allegations of inappropriate... Yeah. I was listening to you this morning, you know, and um, you said that these, you know, like there's a lot of... Uh, unemployed workers that are aged. Yes, well, they make up the vast majority of the unemployed. 300,000-plus Australians who are unemployed are over the years, over the age of 55, and that is, con- well, 50, and that's concerning considering there's so much ageism out there. I had people, yeah, I had people calling me or SMSing or emailing me saying that I go along to these employment agencies, Marcus, but I'm told... Point blank to my face. Why? Why am I here? I'm too old. Nobody will employ me. But but there's another thing you've got to consider too. You know, like this. I sent you two texts. Please pay attention and read them. I sent them to you this morning. Listen, there's you know uh, uh, there's fifty thousand kids coming out of school every year. Yeah. I mean, and then then you know like there's people fifty five now. They're going to be fifty six next year when the 50k kids come out. You know, I mean, what hope in hell have they actually got? Well, we need to have a government that ensures that there are laws that don't discriminate against people over the age of, I don't know, 45, at least, at a bare minimum. There needs to be laws 
that dis- that basically penalise anyone who discriminates or shows ageism when it comes to employment. Uh, plenty of people having their say on the email as well. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Kyle says, G'day Marcus, we have advertised for two positions in the last month and the amount of applications has reduced by at least 70% from our last need to advertise. Not everyone wants to work, Marcus. They are happy to take benefits and make do and then complain. You could pay them another $250 a week and they would still complain. Well, Kyle, you're right. There are a lot of people out there who sit on benefits, who have been perennially unemployed and are probably unemployable. And these people are a drain on our social security net. They are, absolutely. And I agree that these people need to face the consequences of basically being bludgers. I don't doubt that for a moment. My concerns are for the genuine job seekers who are disadvantaged by a range of issues, including ageism and other issues. Uh, Look, you can't expect in a country like this for people to live on 43 bucks a day if they can't find work. And in a lot of in a lot of circumstances, it's beyond their control. I know a lot of people don't like hearing it, but there are people out there, probably half a million plus, who are genuine job seekers, who quite simply would give anything to get a full-time, well-paid job. But when they get out in the, into the marketplace looking for a job, they're either underemployed, that is, you can have you know five, six hours a week. Why would you? There's a disincentive to go and work part-time when you probably get more on job seeker. So that's another issue. It's very complex. Uh, Dennis, thank you very much for your email. Dennis says, Marcus, Pauline, instead of attacking the man, why don't you attack his comments and point out where he is wrong? I doubt you can, Pauline. You have to give your one-sided views away and be like Marcus, who doesn't take sides, but rather tells... Well... You know, some people think I do take sides, but I try and back it up with stats and data and all the rest of it. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Dennis says, Pauline, that's why I like to listen to Marcus, because I get the truth and I've changed my views at times after he's pointed me in the right direction. Uh, Well, look, I'm paid to give my opinion and I'll give my opinion and I'll back it up with facts and then you make up your own mind. Uh, But there are some people who quite simply just don't want to hear it. And that's okay. And this one from Patsy. Uh, uh, thank you for this. Marcus, don't take any notice of Pauline. She is a typical liberal stooge. You keep up the good work. I love it when you're on. As far as I'm concerned, you say it as it is, whether it's good or bad from both sides. People like Pauline don't want to hear the bad stuff of the liberals. I'm glad you got rid of her. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, look, at the end of the day, I always ask people who have a crack at me, perhaps because I'm a little progressive or maybe too progressive, I am a lot younger than other commentators in this field, but, I mean, just imagine if all of these alleged incidents occurred under a Labor government. I mean, you'd have Sky commentators falling over each other to scream blue murder. I mean, they'd be joining Linda Roberts in the cardiac ward. They'd be apople- uh, uh, you know, they'd just be beside themselves. Apoplectic. I mean, Alan Jones, I mean, he'd scream blue murder over these alleged indiscretions if they were under Labor. He'd go a lot further, too, than talking about a shaft bag and 
throwing people away out at sea and people dying of shame, etc. What the situation is, and it's very clear and it's becoming even more clearer as we grow our breakfast show in Sydney, is that, well, people don't like on commercial AM talk, they certainly do not like progressive viewpoints. And that's slowly changing. That's why we're trying to build a, a slightly younger audience and trying to educate those over a certain age that have unfortunately been fed constant right-wing viewpoints, if you like, from Rupert Murdoch's rags, from Sky News and the mainstream media. There is so much more out there, so many other areas where you can get information rather than falling for the same tired old mainstream narrative, which is that, you know, ScoMo's good and Bill Shorten was bad and all the rest of it. Brendan, are you there, mate? Brendan! Hello, how are you? Good, Brendan. Hey, I spoke to you a little while ago. I'm in Townsville about NDIS and my daughter and the, and the difficulties we're having. Uh, we, yeah, did you speak to Lawsy? I know I can't recall our call, but anyway. No, I spoke to you on Lawsy's show. Oh, okay. Well, how are you yeah. going? What's happening there, Brendan? Well, NDIS... NDIS now have sent a letter saying that someone has notified them saying that she may not be entitled to any more funding. So we have to go back and send, get reports and send all through and then to get a extension because we're on a 12-month wait for this genetic testing. So oh, it just I seems to be right. just just a vicious circle at the moment. Yeah, oh, Mate, and, I recall now, I've just gone back, uh, yeah. I recall our conversation. Yeah, so it, it, it is getting frustrating because we can't do any more than what we've already done mm. and it's Queensland Health that's holding everything up which I understand and I understand NDIS has got a job to do but they don't have to make it as hard as what they are do you know what I mean? Yeah well absolutely I don't um, I don't know whether it's a funding issue I don't know whether it, uh, where, whether no, it no. starts at, because money is available uh, there's so yeah. many forms you need to fill in so much rigmarole you have to go through and it's unfair on people like you Brendan well, our plan doesn't run out till September, so now we've got to go back and get specialist reports and go back to justify them why we should still have funding. Yeah, when, when the, yeah. I mean, this this uh, just explain to my listeners again uh, what your daughter is facing. She she's six years old. Um, they think she has Williams syndrome, but no one has been wanting or willing to diagnose her of anything yeah. so um what she happens can't regulate, to, yeah she can't regulate her emotions um she has difficulties expressing her feelings yeah um has no concept of time um you can't tell her you're going for a bike ride in the afternoon in the morning because she just thinks we're going now um add as well um so we've been in the system with NDA since she's two so obviously there's something wrong if you've been in there for, for that long, I mean, nearly five years. Yeah. And then we finally get someone who's willing to help, and then we're on a 12-month wait for this genetic testing to be done. And now we've got to jump through another 1,025 hoops just to keep the funding that we got because they don't think she needs any more funding. Who's your local uh, member up there, mate? Oh, I think it's Aaron Harper. All right. 
Uh, do you want to uh, copy me in on a, a letter? Send a letter off to Alan Harper. Copy me in, in uh, yeah, on my email, mpinthemorning yeah. uh, at 2smsupernetwork.com. Yeah, yeah. You've got those details. Yeah. Send him a letter yeah, off. Yeah, I did, send, I did send you an email the yes. other day All on, right. the, on the morning show yep. email. Well, yeah, let's escalate this. Let's escalate this. Yeah, let's... yeah. Yeah. Write to your local MP, copy me yeah. in, and we'll give the MP's office a call and see if we can have a chat with them on air or even off air to try yeah, and offer yeah. you some I appreciate, I appreciate your help. All right, Brendan, get back to Thank me, you. mate, okay? No, will. Thanks. I'll keep in touch. Bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Uh, 13-12-69, the telephone number to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning. Filling in for John Laws. I thank Marcus. He's a very good broadcaster, full stop. We love this industry. We love what we're doing. Marcus wouldn't mind doing a double at all. Marcus oh. Paul in the morning. <laughs> Call 13 12 69. Hi, Barbara. Are you there? Oh, yes. Hello there, um, Marcus. Morning. I would just like to have my say about a lady that rang about an hour ago. Um, you know, it's obvious what her politics are. If she says... You're to, to the left. I think you're very fair. I think you balance things because, not mentioning names, but there are other commentators on that station that I could say are the other way. So, uh, in all fairness, I think we have to be, you know, listen and then make our own mind up. Well, I that's think- it. That's it. And if you, yeah. if you know, people aren't enjoying my take on things, I don't, uh, I don't expect you to agree with me. Um, no. If you listen, that's great. I, I mean, I want people to make up their own minds. Uh, well, I watch Parliament a lot. I mean, yes. I'm not a dumb clack. I mean, some people yep. might think I am, but I, I, I don't listen, think you are. <laughs> I listen to all sides, and yeah. I think that you're very fair, and um, I really enjoy your show. Okay? Oh, well, that's very kind, and uh, unfortunately sometimes, um, you know, the truth is hard, particularly if it's from someone you favour, uh, and, you know, you can be disappointed. Uh, and that's, I understand that, that's fair enough, but you can't be so bloody-minded uh, about things quite often. There is obviously an issue uh, in Canberra at the moment, and it comes down to whether or not young women can feel safe in the workplace. The entire workplace, whether uh, they're in Labor, Liberal or Calathumpian circles. And yes, I've been very critical of the Prime Minister in particular because I don't buy for one single moment that Scott Morrison did not know that there'd been this abuse going on within his own house, Parliament House. I don't buy it. I'm sorry, I don't. I've worked in Canberra before. I know how it all works. I know the veils of secrecy. I know exactly what happens in between those walls of Parliament. I know that lobbyists and others will do whatever they can to protect the policymakers at the time. And sadly, it even extends these days to covering up things like rape. And it's a blight on our country, and it makes me ashamed to be Australian. I don't have a daughter, but if I did, I wouldn't want her to work at Parliament House, given the state of affairs there right at this moment. Hello, Peter, are you there? Nope, didn't hold on. That's okay, Pete. Try and call back. Norman, are you there, mate? Yes, speaking. Hello, Norman. What's on your mind? Um, I I was a tourist in uh, Wollongong the other week, and... uh, Anyhow, I parked my car at the Novotel because I couldn't fit underneath because I had roof racks on. Yeah. And um, 
Anyhow, I parked out in the street, never saw any more. There was two cars alongside of me parked opposite ways. And um, anyhow, I drove in, parked. Next morning, I had a ticket on me uh, windscreen for parking parking rear. It's an overfill. Yeah. And, um, I mean, if they want tourism, I think it's a pretty weak way to to raise revenue if you park the wrong way on the street, like in a parking park. Can I give you the tip? Uh, What I did, I was sprung for something equally as ridiculous. Write a letter. Send a letter off with a photocopy of your ticket, and I guarantee you'll get off. Because what they, what councils rely upon is people being busy and just go, oh, oh bloody book, blah, 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 uh, and you just pay it. But I, look, try it, try it. I've been caught out in a similar circumstance um, and where I uh, had to, unfortunately, legally park because of whatever circumstance. I can't even remember. I wrote a letter explaining my circumstances, and I received a note back saying that the fine had been waived. So, uh, look, that would be my advice, because it's not cheap. What was the ticket worth? Uh, $116. Yeah, it's a lot of money. A lot well, of money. I, I thought it was a bit silly being just having the car instead of being reversed as a forward, you know. Like, uh, and I did have a look when I looked at the notice, yep. and there was, there was a pine tree in front of me where I parked, Mm. And there were seven cars up before there was a sign. So, um, but just just parking the wrong way, I mean, I thought it's a bit ridiculous myself. But. No, I agree. Uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, again, if uh, if you write, explain your circumstances, say, the I don't know, the sign was obscured, uh, your first time in the area, you were staying at the local hotel, uh, you were unaware of those circumstances, uh, I would... Uh, look, I wouldn't bet my house on it, but you may get off. So, look, for the price of a stamp, it's probably worthwhile sending off a letter. Yeah, all right, then. Thanks for the... Well, thanks good for luck. Listening. Good luck, right, mate. Thanks. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Norman. He's, he's absolutely right, though. Uh, I mean, we've got all of these areas in regional New South Wales and, and elsewhere crying out for people to, to come and visit. You know, and yet you've got rangers patrolling streets, pinging people for... You know, for driving forward into a car park space rather than reversing into it. I mean, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? You'd think local councils would be happy that people are visiting these areas, whether it's, you know, beachside Wollongong or somewhere in the Southern Highlands or out in the Central West. Terry's on the open line. Morning, Terry. Hey, good day. How you going? All right, fighting fit, Terry. How are you? Oh, I'm not fighting fit, but I'm OK. All right. What's on your mind? Oh, I just rang up to say good day. Oh, good day, good day. Because you're the, you know, you're good. <laughs> no, honestly, you, you were just what you were just saying about um, Parliament House and you know the things that are going on. Um, we are well controlled by people that don't even like us. Well, I don't know whether they well they like us. They certainly like our money, and they love the fact that we pay exorbitant taxes, and the fact that we you know go along with their uh, well their narrative of of how well they're doing. I mean, they like us. They like us because we make them wealthy, Terry. Why can't they answer questions in question time? Uh, because I move that the member no longer be heard, Terry. <laughs> Is that me? I move no. that the member no longer be heard. I mean, this mob. Yeah. This mob, you know, talk about democracy, and yet 
on so many occasions in the last, what, 18 months, 300-plus occasions in the House that's supposed to be the very centre of, of democratic process in our country. So I move that the member no longer be heard. They shut down the debate. Yeah, and then you try and reword the question, and it's just, oh, I've already answered that. Mm. But you didn't answer it in the We dealt with part. that. Oh, come on, Terry, we, we dealt with that. I've dealt with that issue. I dealt with it last week. Let's move on. You keep up the good work, Marcus, and I hope you can take over this um, time slot. Oh, well, there'll be a lot of people out there that disagree, but thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. Rod, good morning, Rod. How are you? Hello. Uh, Rob. Oh, Rob. My apologies, Rob. Yes, mate. Well, I'm talking about farm workers. Yes, please. Mate, um, I live in an area up in Queensland, Gatton, and a lot of the farms around here use overseas labour yep. for their fruit picking and you they talk about you know the 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 tort facilities and things like that. We we've seen up in this area the abuse that these people go through. Um, we've seen situations where they're outside the farm gate there'd be toilet paper it's a toilet paper, mm. toilet rolls and such things floating about on the road because they've got nowhere to go. Yeah, well, is it any wonder then that unions are calling for a royal commission into the treatment of fruit pickers and workers in that sector? The latest in a long line of reports has found people working in the industry for as little as $3 per hour amid horrific stories of exploitation and, as you've pointed out, poor sanitary conditions. It's Well, this has been going on for so many years and, let's be serious, Unions today have been robbed of power through the federal government. It's time that a lot of these draconian laws are released from the unions so unions can get out there and fight harder for these people, but not just these people. In the Gatton area, we talk about people with jobs. We've got young people in Gatton who are unemployed, who refuse to work, Digging on the farms. Well, they should get a kick up the arse and get to work. I mean, young people in particular are the ones who should be out there picking fruit and taking the jobs that ordinarily would be going uh, to, you know, overseas workers. Uh, but they should be going to work. And, and I can guarantee you, if you've got young people in Gatton, young Australians who go and take on these jobs, the sanitary conditions would improve out of sight. Absolutely. That's a big part of the problem. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it, Rob. Uh, yes. Is it any wonder that there are issues where, uh, you know, there's been exploitation of overseas workers, etc.? Maybe the real issue is, uh, and again, I'm, I don't know 100%, but I'm just floating this idea. Maybe the issue is the pay is terrible. Why would you go and work in these conditions? Why would you work for as little as $3 an hour? and be exploited in that manner? Why would you go and work in these areas when they can't even provide you with a a toilet? And you get abused. There's enough evidence out there, according to unions, well, enough for them them uh, to want to call a royal commission into into the sector. Daniel Walton from the Australian Workers Union says it's become an entrenched part of the supply chain and action is long overdue. So if we're going to have people calling for young Australians, or anybody for that matter, to get out to these regional areas and start picking fruit, maybe the operators in these areas need to stop all this other nonsense. 
131269, the telephone number. James, are you there, mate? Yeah, yeah, Marcus. Um, it was nice to hear from your mum and dad before, too. Giving my, you all those compliments. My mum and dad? Are you being a smarty, are you, James? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. I agree right. with them to a point. That's no, all right. You I, don't have to. I, I'm, I'm not fussed. You don't have to agree with me. I've only, no, got, a no, minute, I've only got a minute or so, so what did you want to say, right, mate? The quick one is, right, um, one for the think tanks is with the doll payment, yeah. give them the extra, 80, say, $80 a, a week, right, yep. for six months. Now, that gives them the extra money to help find a job, yeah. right? And then after six months, to cut out those lazy ones who don't go out or don't want to, yep. they get it reduced by $20 a, a month and it just keeps going down. That gives the incentive for people and the extra money to go out and find a job and help them get, have the finances to get a job, and also it gives the incentive, well, I'm going to have to because I'm going to be cut down. That's a really good point, mate. I really appreciate you making it, and it makes perfect sense to me. Good on you, buddy. I appreciate it. Good have luck. a good day. You too. Bye, mate. There he is, James, on the open line. We're off to the news and then back for the last hour of the John Laws Morning Show. 13 12 69 is the open line number. Want more news and genuine talk on the radio? Then stick with us. All right, Marcus Paul in for the John Laws Morning Show. If you want to have your say, 13 12 69, be a little patient. We've got a full board of callers at the moment and about 100 emails to read. We'll try and get through as many as we can for you. In 2021, 2SM has Sydney talking. All right, Peter, are you there, mate? Yes, I am. Hello, uh, Peter. Yeah. Thanks for holding on. Appreciate it. What's on your mind? Yeah, look, you just mentioned before about um, the the uh, farming industry, the horticulture. Um, I'm I'm currently up in uh, far north Queensland, in Innisfail, and you spoke about um, uh, sanitary situations, like on the farms and the low wages. Especially, um, they're not getting they're not getting um, backpackers here. They're not getting um, uh, to Innisfail, especially because it is a big banana industry up here. Yes, of course. And and, and um, they're not getting and and especially with COVID nineteen right now. Um, I know that I worked at farms a long, long time ago, and mm-hmm. and I won't mention the particular farmers, but if you wanted to go to the toilet or anything, especially if you were out uh, picking or, or cutting, yeah. which involved you know, which involved, you know, being out in the, you know, like not shed shed work. Shed work, yes, you, you know, you've got more of that option. You know, there, there are those facilities, but um, when you're a humper or a, or a cutter, you, yeah. you, don't, you don't have those facilities. Well, why don't and, they bring uh, in, I mean, if you're working at a construction site, for instance, a workplace in Sydney or, or in other major regional areas, a construction site, they bring in the portaloos. Why can't these farmers... Exactly. That, I look, I, I originally come from Melbourne. Yeah. So um, uh, in Melbourne, you see that all the time. You see if the, if the um, construction site yeah, yeah. will start up, they will have those, you know, I mean... And, well, they have and, to by and, law. Yeah, because and especially uh, Victoria is a big union state, and you know, and 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 all that sort of thing. But uh, you know, like the farmers are, are going on about how how tough their life is, and I mean, you know, if you if you look now, what you said before about you know unemployment or that, but um, with this matter in particular, with with um, farming, it's just um, like the wages increased, you know, after the cyclones and after John Howard and. And, and all that, but you know we're in COVID nineteen, and, and they're not they're not getting they're not getting workers. I've got a 
Um, uh, I've got a friend, a neighbour that was he's 54, yeah, and he was on unemployment, and they said, "Well, look, mate, you know, they told him to go and you know work at a farm, and he said, "Well, okay," because you know they threatened to cut him off, but if they're you know trying to get a 54 year old worker that's lived in this in this town all his life mm. to go out and do and do that where they can't get you know young strong people to do. You know, and then he ended up getting fired anyway because the farm told him he was too slow. Oh, and right. as farmers just expecting a lot, um, mate, is just... Um, and, and, yeah, you, you can't wash your hands. You've got a lot of things to deal with. You've got, uh, you know, um, things with rats. You've got snakes. You've got the whole thing going on. And there's just no health and safety. Well, that could be an issue. Uh, well, look, uh, some unions say there should be a... A bit of a look into it. They're calling for a royal commission into the treatment of fruit pickers and workers in the horticultural sector. Uh, so and perhaps uh, there's a lot of truth into what they're suggesting. And thank you, Peter, for your call. I do appreciate it. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. if you would like to have your say. Uh, just on the email, Robert, in regards to fruit pickers, uh, you asked questions where I thought the answers would be obvious. Why do fruit pickers work in crap conditions for little pay? Uh, Robert says, because the majority of them are illegal immigrants who want cash in hand because they don't pay tax and don't want to be caught by border force. Your progressive thinking isn't progressing very well. All right, Robert. Thank you. 131269, that's your opinion and I'll take it as such. Uh, Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie says, Marcus, I'm on the side of you and all those who agree with your views on politics. Uh, thank you very much. You give uh, your listeners an alternate to some of the other stuff being spruiked by others. Give it to them, champ. <laughs> Regards, Ronnie Moss. Thank you, Ronnie. That's very kind of you. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine to have you say. Chris is on the open line now. Hello, mate. Uh, hello, Marcus. Hey, Chris. What's on your mind? Well, this business that's going on in Parliament House, mate, um, the alleged perpetrator, he put himself in the mental health, I believe, I, not that I've heard a name attached with that. Then Linda Reynolds broke down in Parliament in tears, mm. our Defence Minister, after being asked questions about it. Yep. It kind of looks like um, they didn't want to break it down into tears with with the um, scheduled meeting she had today. Well, she was supposed to front the National Press Club. We're told that she's in the cardiac ward at Canberra Hospital, Uh for a pre-existing condition, I have no doubt uh, that the uh, the minister is under immense pressure, pressure, extreme oh, I, pressure. I, I, I wouldn't doubt that either. Um, but the, the issues are still got to be dealt with. Absolutely, they have to be dealt with. But look, aside from uh, what's going on within Parliament, uh, this young lady, Brittany Higgins, has today made her official statement to police, so it'll become a police matter, so I don't want to talk too much about it at the moment, but some of the big issues uh, still need to be uh, resolved, and that is who knew what and when, but unfortunately, you've still got morons like this Andrew. Andrew, I don't even know if this is a, uh, a real email address, Andrew, but I'm going to share your ridiculous comments on our social media posts so you know the million or so that follow us and you know we reach on social media can see what an absolute dipstick you are this this is the problem have a listen to andrew another failed career move see this is what women 
and others who are victims of alleged sexual abuse have to put up with. Complete and utter morons like this. Andrew writes, Marcus, seems like another chick slept with a guy in the hopes of furthering her career and becoming a, politic- a politician, but it didn't pan out that way. Now, God knows how long later an alleged rape occurred. Hashtag me too. Equals, I slept with someone in the hopes of getting something in return, but I didn't. Now I'm bitter. See, Andrew, you're a big part of the problem. And again, sounds awfully a lot like victim blaming to me. And it is, is it any wonder that people like Brittany Higgins were afraid to speak up when there are absolute dipshits like you out there? Andrew, nobody is to blame for sexual assault except for the perpetrator. It's an allegation that should be taken seriously and not made fun of by quarterwits like you. Anyway, Andrew, uh, we'll see what uh, my followers think of your disgusting email a little later on in the program. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Josh didn't wait. Jonathan, are you there? Jonathan. Yes, yes mate. How are you, Jonathan? Good. I'll just switch the radio off. Thank you, mate. My- All right. Sitting in the car. No worries. What did you want to say, John? I'm a second-generation farmer set up a few years ago here. Yes, mate. Years. Yep. And um, hearing all the discussions on the John Law Show, try to get through last week. But anyway, uh, you'll find most of the most of the farmers who are rorting the system with these foreign workers and cash and so on. And, yep. And I know this for a fact. Well connected. It's the bigger groups supplying the supermarket chains. Mm. We're we're a small independent grower. We yep. specialise in certain fruits. Mm-hmm. And. And it's the guys who are under pressure to deliver to a price. That's what we find. So they're tainting the industry. A lot, a lot of the stone fruit cherry growers and so on are doing it by the book, the casual award rate. And we're the ones that cop a sausage when a, when a worker is slow. Okay. Some of these people can't pick as much as what my, my grandfather can pick. Yep. So we're losing money giving these guys a go. But quite often you are stuck because you need a pool of people. Mm. And if you get rid of all the bad ones, you don't have enough staff. You've got to sift through them. Yeah. And I've been through the agencies in my local town for the last five years. Yeah. And not one good person. They've all got issues, whether it's uh, uh, transport, uh, convictions, drug issues. Uh, that you know, They lost their dog. They couldn't show up to work. They just don't want to work. They're, they're getting a benefit. And I'm, I'm working my guts out paying taxes for these people. So they should be cut off. All right. And this job keeper should be cut off. Well, certainly if people aren't prepared to work, and I, I mainly refer to, to those of a younger age that are more suitable to this kind of work. If you've got a, a strapping young bloke out there living in a regional community that's sitting on welfare payments rather than out working for people like you, Lance, and, I don't know, maybe bending their back, uh, uh, you, Jonathan, maybe bending their back a little, well, then they should be. And you're right. They should be, yeah. Marcus, I had two 19-year-olds a few weeks back there, Mm. right? They lasted two hours. Oh, we're too young for this. It's too hard. Hey, 19. healthy young guys. I said, what do you want to do with your life? Stay here for a couple of weeks, earn some money, yeah. put bank some cash, yeah. and go and, and, and help your career, short term. Mm. You know? Mate, when I was 16, 
uh, my stepfather would drag me out of bed on a Saturday morning at five o'clock, take me to the job site on the back of his uh, motorcycle, throw bricks at me, make me mix mud till I couldn't walk anymore, but I was paid handsomely for it, and I eventually became better at it and learnt the trade and all the rest of it. But, you know, that was at 16. Mm. You know, you've got to work hard. If you're young and you're fit and you're active, I mean, they take it for granted. People over, I don't know, now maybe my age, you know, just shy of 50, I mean, I wish I still had the stamina and the strength that I had in my 20s, throwing bricks around and mixing mud and all the rest of it. I don't, but if a mate calls and wants a hand with a wall or something, I'll still run out there and work my guts out because I know how hard it is for people in small business like you and my bricky mates to make money. It's very difficult, and you need workers, and what they want as well, mate, is they want bloody top dollar. These 18, 19-year-olds, they expect two, three hundred bucks a day. I mean, get nicked. Yeah. You see, piecework piecework doesn't discriminate. It sifts out the good from the bad. Yeah. Right? And as long as you, as long as the piece rate covers the general award Mm. for that category, the smart ones work it out. If you're slow, you're slow. I can't help you. Yeah. Or you're just not suited. Yeah. And you won't last. Yeah. But the good guys can earn, and that's why they go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we didn't have these backpackers, forget the townies, forget the lot of the locals. Mm. They're just never going to take the position because the incentive is not there because they can always fall back on a, on a government benefit, which is perpetual. And the perpetuality of it is the problem. And if we didn't have these people, we couldn't have a business. These backpackers or uh, islanders who are on special visas, their government wants to fly a jet every day of 300 workers from Vanuatu. It's in the papers. Yeah, but we don't take it. Yeah, we bring the thousand tennis people with their entourage. Mm. The, a lot of them are spoiled brats earning far too much money. Yep. And we bring the latest strain of the disease in Australia. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand why, uh, again, the government kiboshed, probably because of pressure, why they kiboshed uh, these uh, foreign workers in particular from Vanuatu. Because as you well know, Jonathan, they come in, they work hard, uh, they get the job done, then they, you know, they end, they end up leaving the country with their, you know, with their pockets full of cash that they've rightfully earned to look after their families back home in Vanuatu, and they live like kings because they're prepared yep. to work hard for it. Yep, it's Samoa, Tonga, all yep. these places. They rely on Australia. We help them with aid, and they respect that. Mm. And they're very grateful people and peaceful people. Yet we go through a soup of people here who have just got issues, and I get it. But Get out there and get a job, and you won't have a drug problem because you're sitting at home doing nothing. That's it, I don't, mate. I don't know. Yep. Okay, yes, some people do need help. Of course they and, do. And they, they, we have to help them somehow. But we've got businesses to run, and it keeps the community going. We spend money in towns. We keep the towns going, and vice versa. Mm. We spend our money. If we don't have the farmers in the towns, well, the towns won't exist. Anyway, all right, uh, mate. That's a, a really good off. call. That's a really good call, Jonathan. And I hear, I hear your frustration, and I agree with you. And look again, I think it's it's the the problem is tiered. Young people, you know, under the age of say forty, uh, and not that you know when you're forty and over, you're necessarily old, but you know, people who are suitable, uh, more suited to these kinds of work. Young, fit people. Without you know the expense of paying mortgages or having children or any you know anybody depending upon them, they are the ones who should be kicked up the backside and forced to work. And I don't buy it for a moment that there are no jobs out there. I know there are jobs out there. I get bricky mates. Jobs at their market, mate, I get bricky mates calling it. me all the time. Uh, do you know a, a young bloke that wants to earn some cash or whatever it is, helping me out for a day or two, mixing mud and throwing bricks? 
but you can't get yeah. them because they don't want to no. do the work. I need four workers right now. I've lost fruit. We threw fruit on the ground. We had to downgrade. We lost money, thousands of dollars a week. Who's going to, I'm not asking for compensation, but that's the reality of this worker shortage. Yep. It's, happened, it's happened last year. Couldn't, couldn't get enough. All right, we mate. saw it coming. We warned the government. And the, other, the, the biggest joke here is the $6,000 relocation. Right? What was it? Last time I checked, 320, 30 people have taken nationally. Hmm. Six grand. Come out, come out to a farm. Get your six grand. You can stay in a motel. Go to the pub. Eat at, eat at the pub every night, have a beer, Live like and a the king. government's paying you. Live like a king. Yep, six grand, but unfortunately, hardly anyone's taking it up. It's ridiculous, yeah. Jonathan. Thank you for the call, yeah. mate. All the best. Thank you. Bye. Great call. Uh, oh, gee, they're out in force. Adam, another idiot. Alleged rape victims. G'day, Marcus. I agree with Andrew. No girl goes to a hotel room with a man unless they want to. Andrew was spot on, and we need more people to call a spade a spade. Good on you, Andrew. All right, so what are you suggesting, Adam? That if a young lady goes to a hotel room with a man, she's expected to have sex with him? Adam, you're an absolute moron. You and Andrew can go to a hotel room and bugger each other for all I care, but those sorts of attitudes are the reason why we're in this same predicament. I don't know whether it's a fake account or whatever it is, but Adam and Andrew, between the two of you, you wouldn't have enough brains to, I don't know, uh, to put a sentence together. Ridiculous comments. Les, good morning. How are you, Les? I'm not bad, uh, Marcus. How are you? Right. Mate, I'm just, I'm just bringing up about these uh, deals that uh, send you emails about the sexual assault. I'd like to see this happen to one of their uh, daughters because you know yourself, I bring you up about my granddaughter. Yep. It happened to. Mm. He's got no idea what these women go through after this is done. You know, and then when they've got to get on the witness stand, they've got no idea how the you know, victims, uh, the body goes against them, the barrister, you know, for the alleged attacker, mm. goes against these women. So one day I wish this will happen to... I don't wish it to happen, but if it happens to their daughter, then we'll see what they've got to say about it then. Well, that's right. Uh, there is no excuse... No excuse whatsoever uh, for enabling poor behaviour by men or women when it comes to sexual assault. Uh, and consent, I mean, I don't want to play the consent video again for morons like Adam and Andrew, but maybe I have to. You know, no means no. And just because a young lady accompanies somebody to, whether it's an office or whether it accompany, whether they accompany him to a hotel room, it does not mean that she has consented to have sex with them. And if they go ahead and do what's alleged, well, then they should be charged and serve some serious jail time. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, let's have a look at a couple of emails. Um, Some of them are okay. A lot of them are nasty, but that's okay. Rick says, Marcus, I can't believe I just heard you say that Labor are better economic managers. Outstanding rubbish. They never run a balanced budget ever. Yet Libs had 11 years straight. Libs get in after Labor run up a huge debt and haul the debt back. You don't have an argument. Well, hang on, Rick. 
Have you had a look at the current figures? And don't blame COVID. Uh, the debt was spiralling out of control well before COVID under this current Liberal government. Anyway, Rick concludes with this. You are a typical left-hard drone who wants to give all the bludgers free money and take no responsibility. All right, Rick, thank you. Uh, this one from Lewis. Blame where it belongs. Morning, Marcus. It was not due to any efforts from Morrison that helped rein in the COVID virus when it first raised its ugly head. All the hard work has been done by the state governments, especially WA, Queensland and Victoria. Morrison and Dutton are responsible for quarantine and border control. Remember the Ruby Princess fiasco. These two have failed miserably. Over 680 deaths in Victoria were in federally funded aged care facilities. Those facilities are funded and come under the auspices of the Prime Minister, uh, Health Minister and Federal Aged Care Minister Richard Colbeck. They all failed. Yet ignorant people want to blame Daniel Andrews over these 680 deaths. Alrighty, 13, 12, 69, a stack of people on the open line. I'll try and get through as many as I can. Mary, hello, how are you? Mary! Mary, Mary, not there. All right, Joe, are you there, mate? Yes, I'm there. Thank you, Joe. What did you want to say? Oh, I'm just going to ask, uh, basically, uh, uh, the national debt to GDP is a technical question, nothing. But I'm going to ask uh, to get facts on it. So I want to talk to him about that uh, reality. I'm sorry, not, not, but it's where we sit in the EU and America and the whole system. Nothing, nothing he gets uh, panicking about. Uh, well, look, I think I have the gist of what you're saying. I mean, overall, uh, well... Hang on, hang on. You are going to put this to the air because uh, we have got one of the best debt-to-GDP ratios in the world, and I want you people in there to give me the facts about the EU and America and all these countries. That way it'll put the issue on the table instead of being emotional. Everything's emotional. You've got to get down the business part. And the business part is what you're not handling. We are not in a mess in Australia. GDP to national, our debt to national GDP is one of the best in the world. Mm. And that's what I'm asking you to look at. Well, I'm aware, of, I'm aware of that. And as you say, if our uh, debt ratio to gross domestic product is one of the best in the world, then why do we pay one of the worst uh, unemployment rates? Because there's a lot of people... Uh, we don't, because a lot of people... Our unemployment rate is at 6.4 in, in the big world, and it's about 12% unemployment. If you have a look at the unemployment rate on the EU and Australia and the rest of the world, it's worse. Come on, let's get the facts... I'm talking about facts, not emotion. You've got to get your, your programs too emotional. You, you've got to stop rubbishing people and abusing people. You've got to talk about people. If I have a point of view, don't put me down. Just say, yeah, fine, that's great. But you can't keep putting people down. When people put people down because they're not handling the issue. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not anti the Marcus or anything. I'm just trying to get a point across to you. You can't keep abusing people and you've got well, to... I haven't abu- Hang on, I haven't abused anybody, Joe. No, but on the program, I'm, I'm seeing how Marcus abuses people. That's not nice. You don't have to. I don't, do that. Hang on, hang on a moment. I'm far less abusive of people than I don't know. Lawsy is. I'm not saying. I'm not saying you are. Yeah. I'm just saying. But I'm saying Marcus has got to stop putting. You know, if he doesn't agree with somebody, fine. That's the, I don't You're talking agree with you. to Marcus, Joe. You're on the air, oh, Joe. Oh, sorry. I didn't. Sorry, I didn't realise that. Sorry, Marcus. It's all right. Uh, anyway, I'm just saying about the business part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if, you, if you've got to get the facts about uh, debt to GDP, once you, 
put them mm-hmm. out on the system, you can then have a, a, a discussion at the moment. We're talking emotion. We're not talking business. That's all I'm saying to you, Marcus. But, but when people are struggling and living below the poverty line, it is emotional. And I and I like to tap into that emotion. I See, this is another issue. Okay, Joe, you, you talk about raw figures and you talk about OECD, um, maybe, uh, you know, economies from overseas and you want it all comparable, that's fine. But people aren't... Numbers. We've seen what happens when you throw numbers into a computer called RoboDebt and it spits out a whole range of numbers that might not necessarily be true, Joe. It is emotional. It is an emotional issue. Yeah, but also you made the claim that Australia is in a mess. It is in a mess. We're absolutely in a mess for a number of reasons. But compared to what I'm saying with the EU and America, Italy... All right, uh, so England, just because it's... Germany, hang on. When, but, Joe, not, hang on. When, just because we're not in as bad a mess as Italy, does that mean that things are okay? They are, because it's well No, managed. I don't live it's in Italy. I couldn't, I couldn't care well, less what's going on in well, Italy. I don't well, live overseas well, or in any other well, OECD country apart from Australia, and I want my country run a hell of a lot better than what it currently is, Joe. I don't settle for second, third, fifth or tenth best. I want Australia to be the best. I want my taxpayer dollars to be spent appropriately. I'm sick to death of hundreds of millions of dollars. I had Tanya Plibersek and, and a number of uh, uh, MPs on the program in the last week or so that confirmed the government has spent half a billion dollars, $500 million, keeping four people, four people from Sri Lanka on an island off the West Australian coast. And you tell me that's a great place? Come on, mate. And you're telling me that's not emotional? You should damn well be emotional about it. And you should be writing to your local MP saying, what the hell is going on here? What the... What do you think, this money is confetti? Half a million people to open up Christmas Island for a family of four. Why? So Peter Dutton can prove a political point. Well, I don't give a stuff about what political point Peter Dutton wants to prove. I want half a million dollars of my taxpayer money spent more appropriately than locking up kids in indefinite detention off Christmas Island just so he can look tough. These are the stuff that these are the things that should make Australians emotional. Just think, all of that money spent to prove a political point. For this Bill Wheeler family, for instance, imagine that $500 million. Could you imagine for a moment how much better off we would be as a country if it was spent on, I don't know, pensioners, hospitals, aged care homes, all the rest of it. But no, we've got governments wasting money. And yeah, you're damn right. I do get emotional about it and so should you. Unscripted, genuine and sometimes silly. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 13, 12, 69 for my last caller, Philip. Might I remind him that supporters of the Biloela family now include former Prime Minister Tony Abbott, Julie Bishop, Michael McCormick, Jim Molan, Anthony Albanese, Barnaby Joyce, Christina Keneally, Andrew Giles, Alan Jones, myself and others. Alex Hawke has an opportunity. Alex, the Immigration Minister, has an opportunity right now to look at the Billowilla case with fresh eyes and stop wasting taxpayer money. It's time to bring this sorry Starga to an end and let these people go home to Bilo. 131269, Emmanuel. Are you there, Emmanuel? Emmanuel! Yeah, how are you? Yeah, all right, Emmanuel. Off you go, please. What do you want to say? 
Well, you're just attacking that man who is trying to make common sense. And what you're doing is putting down a good Australian. By, by well, good, I don't, I don't know. Do, good, do a good, see, a good Australian, a good Australian, Emmanuel, a good Australian, Emmanuel, does not lock children up indefinitely on um, an island. Uh, considering one of these kids was actually born in the country, no, a good Australian doesn't lock away children indefinitely. Hey, eh? what? Huh? You, uh, paraphrase what everybody else wants to say. You don't know what you're talking about. Most of the time, you've got no clue what you're talking about. Well, I think I know if, what I'm talking about when I call you a moron, Emmanuel. Are you are you are you a Canberra stooge yourself? Are you? Am I a what? A Canberra stooge. In other words, you've been working for a, a Canberra stooge. That's you a new one, Emmanuel. Like you come across as like as a what? You were in the political parties. I wasn't in any political party. Or I was a reporter in Canberra. Clean your ears out, you moron! I was a reporter in Canberra, and I said I had insider knowledge of what goes on in Canberra. What? You're talking about yourself. Most of the time, you're talking about yourself. No, I'm not. That was that was the only thing I mentioned about myself this morning. You dipshit. As an absolute nitwit. What? Can I say to you? You come across as a dope, a, a nitwit. You've got no brains. Emmanuel, can you spell you can nitwit for me? Emmanuel, Emmanuel, can you spell nitwit for me? I bet you can't. No, that's okay. I'll let you talk. Go. I just asked you a question. Can you spell nitwit for me? Yes. Yeah. Marcus Paul. Oh, you got him before me because I was about to say it's spelled E-N-N-A-N-U-A-L. Emmanuel, you go to Christmas Island indefinitely, okay? 131269, Lee uh, is on the open line. Hello, Lee, are you there? No, I didn't wait. Can we just check those callers, please? Thank you. Uh, Luke, are you there, mate? Hey, good day, Marcus. Um, here, here, these people that have been penned in boxes overseas on these crazy islands, that policy's finished, and Dutton needs to get a flush through his ears. Morrison needs to get off the, you know, the old Mr. Schultz in the Hogan's Heroes. I know nothing, I know nothing. It doesn't glue anymore, Mr. Morrison. We've, we know what's going on, and poor old Linda Reynolds, it's not just the rape problem that's causing her to go to hospital. She was meant to meet up with the, the global CEO of Naval Group, which is the $100 billion submarine thing. She oh, but they're great economic managers, great economic managers. Christopher Pine left a, that little legacy before he went off and went into podcast land or whatever the hell he's doing these days, just so he could shore up votes. Uh, down there in South Australia. How much money, uh, taxpayer money, did this bloke waste? Well, the, the fixer, remember? He used to call himself oh, the fixer. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, he basically set this up in South Australia, which is thousands of kilometres from where these submarines are going to be used. Yep. And can you imagine diesel-electric subs, the problems that they have to have with supply ships? Mm. There's a really good book for people to read. It's called The Collins-Class Sub Story, Steel, Spies and Spin, 2008 by Peter Yule and Derek Woolner, uh, Cambridge Press. Now, that book opens up the story of the problems we had trying to put together um, parts from different places to fix up a sub. This one we're getting from, from um, France yeah. is a nuclear sub, and we're saying, all oh, right, now, first thing we've got to do is chuck out the nuclear reactor. All right, let's not go into too much right, detail. Uh, these, it's, just it's, answer this question. Hang on, hang on, Luke. Just right answer up. this question. Are these things going to be nothing more than very heavy paperweights by the time they get into action? Okay, they're talking that they're already 17 months behind schedule. They're also saying that it's going to cost $140 billion to maintain through their life cycle. And the major part 
is that there's um, Jeff Ferguson's one guy, another guy's an MP called Rex Patrick, and the other one's Mark um, McGowan, who's the Premier of WA. All these people have had experience in submarines. Right. McGowan's a submarine engineer. Now, these people... Um, Linda Reynolds had a bit of military experience over there, but they've shoved her into these incredibly hard decisions, talking $100 billion of taxpayers' money. Yeah. And, and these things, what are they going to be in five or ten years? They're going to be so obvious. They've got to come up to snorkel. They're going to be picked up by every <laughs> radar in the world. And the computers, yeah. the computers are going to basically soon have computer-driven um, the old DARPA, they've developed these boats that just follow the subs around wherever they go. There are no people on board. All right, so basically a big fat waste of money is what you're saying. Thank you, mate. David, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hello, Dave. What's on your mind, mate? Oh, look, all I want to say is I've, I've listened to you. I'm on um, holidays and the range of subjects that you have to be confronted with. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean you're doing a good job. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, um, but I, uh, I've... Uh, just listening to Luke, all the diversity is just incredible. But <laughs> Thank I, just you, want, mate. I just I just wanted to ring up and say hi, that's all. I mean I've got a wealth of experience. I I worked in the um immigration detention area. I spent four years in the regular army. Sure. Um, I've been I've been unemployed, I've been married for forty years. Yeah. Um, um and I'll tell you what, I work for a for a for um uh, a, a federal government department and uh, I work as a postman, um, an honourable job, and we've got people there from Qantas. We've got one guy that's a senior pilot on a quarter of a million dollars a year now working for us because his career is over. So it gives you a grounding. You've got to hope, oh, though, God. don't you, mate? You've got to hope that, you know, this fellow, good on him uh, for getting back into the workforce, even though he can't fly around in, you know, jumbos well, at yeah. the moment. Well, basically, you, you, hopefully he'll get back. Well, hopefully, um, um, we, 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 we are one of the few departments that have actually made money out of this situation. We've yeah. literally gone from, from a workforce doubling um, our capacity. We're going to make a lot of money for the taxpayers. Um, you know, OzPost is a very reputable, honourable organisation, very proud to be a postal worker. But having a holiday and listening to the alternative um, political, social, economic um, current, um, you know, uh, opinions. I, I find it really refreshing, and I, I just wanted to say hi to you. All right, mate. Well, that's very kind of you, and uh, and good on you for touching base with the program. We appreciate it. Patricia, good morning. Are you there, Patricia? Yes. yes hello. Uh, yes. Well, I agree with the High Court. Send them back. All right. Okay. Well, that's an opinion. Um, I disagree. Why should they go back? Just out of interest, considering they have a, a daughter that was born here in Australia. Patricia! All right. Um, <laughs> that was it, was it? Send them, ba- send them back! Be damned with them! Send them back! The fact that they had a child born here in Australia, the fact that they have been working and paying taxes. As I said at the time, back when this first became a story, these are exactly the kind of people we want in Australia. These are the exactly the kind of people. People who work pay taxes, volunteer, have children in local schools who are a part of their community and a much-loved part of their community, by the way. 13, 12, 69. Phil, are you there? Wake Hang up. on, Phil, are you there, mate? Yes. All right, how are you, mate? Oh, good. Lively morning, Marcus. Oh, why not? Uh, look, um, I heard you claim that uh, Sky News uh, goes soft on... Uh, uh, Morrison uh, over this uh, assault on staffers. Now, Peter Credler, who was a staffer herself, yeah. w- was one of the first to come out 
um, claiming did. that Morrison must have known. We, we haven't got any facts on that, but uh, she, she argues that he, he'd have to know. Rita Panahai. Now, some uh, on Sky are very critical of Scott Morrison, uh, particularly Rowan Dean. Uh, they claim that he's failed to uphold our democratic values, conservative values. He won't get engaged with cultural issues uh, in opposing wokeness and political correctness. And conservative voters are turning away from Morrison, moving towards uh, One Nation, people like Mark Latham, who's leading the, the, the fight in education and parental rights, for instance. So, yeah, Mark uh, is a regular on my, on my program on Friday mornings. Uh, yeah. And, he, yeah, he right, he does get uh, the conservatives talking and uh, maybe, um, you know, and, and look what's happening, I think, in, uh, in the Hunter in particular. Joel Fitzgibbon is in all sorts of mess, I think, there to hold his seat. Uh, if, we're not, if he's not careful, he'll lose to Stuart Bonds up there. But he's doing the right thing. It's ridiculous. Even Michael Moore said that renewables won't do the job. And you know how uh, renewable uh, supporting he was previously. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to be a, an economic success, we've got to have cheap energy. And But it won't happen. Uh, just people... Um, the, the hard left have taken over the institutions and controlling people's minds. And uh, common sense logic doesn't apply anymore. All right. <laughs> Thanks, hey. Marcus. I'm okay, like you have a good day, okay, and thank you for your call. See, uh, look, I'm, I, I allow people to have their say. I disagree with quite a fair bit that Phil mentioned there. Uh, and I wasn't abusive. I didn't argue with him. Uh, it's just people that want to argue with me, first and foremost, that occasionally will get into a little tiff. But, hey, it's been fun. Apologies to those who we haven't got to. Um, I haven't got time now. Uh, but thank you for putting up with me today. I hope you've uh, at least enjoyed some of the back and forth and the argy-bargy and all the rest of it. And uh, maybe you've learned something. Maybe you hate me even more, but that's OK. Uh, if you want to uh, follow what we do online, please, 2smsupernetwork.com and click on my uh, my show there. You can like and follow us uh, and keep up to date with what we do. Plenty of podcasts up there as well and uh, hopefully I, I suspect John will be back a very difficult day for him of course and, uh, it's the one year anniversary that's probably the wrong way of putting it but this time last year is when Caroline passed away and my thoughts and our love goes to, to John and his loved ones this morning have a good day and um, Centrelink says no you can't get this payment anyway uh, they told me to go back to it I don't understand how you're not covered by workers' compensation if you say you um, you had a, an issue at work that led to an amputation of of one of your toes. I don't quite understand that. Because they said that, you know, whilst I was repairing my my truck, uh, I wasn't wearing a safety shoe. Well, were you wearing a safety shoe? No. Well, why not? All right, mate. Well, I can't help you. I mean, honestly, if you... You're at work and you're supposed to wear a safety shoe and you didn't and you've had a toe amputated because of a, an injury. Well, they're absolutely right. Boy, oh boy. It's a tough lesson to learn. Uh, I don't know whether that fellow or not is uh, entitled. I'm sure he would be, absolutely, uh, to something somewhere along the line. I'd go back and double-check if I were you, but, I mean, how silly. Wear safety equipment, PPE, that's what it's for. <laughs> 
Okay, we're off to the news in just a moment or two, but I'd love to hear from you for the second hour of the John Laws Morning Show. It's Marcus Paul in the morning for John. Now, John is not in today. Uh, uh, He should be back tomorrow. Today, of course, is the one-year anniversary of the loss of his beautiful princess, Caroline Laws, who died on this day back uh, a year or so ago.